0: to adventure rider radio raw a roundtable style spin-off from adventure rider radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel and on this episode of raw episode 86 we are defining RTW or around the world just what are the requirements for the around the world moniker and how do you earn it what have those riders done that have the RTW title and after that it's top fears of motorcycle travel what are they and are they real all that and more coming up but before we get going i want to give a shout out to some people who have helped adventure rider radio and raw with support of 50 dollars or more here we go brian lavender josh gillihan shane porter mark novak Ole victorson patrick cheever and john sirabassi from emmaus moto tours it's so great to have people that appreciate what we're doing here and help the show by supporting, but please don't leave it to those to do that. We need your support too. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out like you just heard me do. Anything $10 or more gets you some stickers. We got a bunch of different ways to support. Drop by our website adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now, just before we get going with Raw, in case Raw is a new discovery for you, we do another show every week called Adventure Rider Radio that's our flagship show. Again, drop by our website adventureriderradio.com. Now here we go, Adventure Rider Radio Raw for March 2023. It is. It
1: is. My faithful assistant's going to be bringing me a large whiskey in a
0: minute. You have an oh, assistant? It's funny he said oh, that rather quiet, didn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ...recorded live from the Canoe West Media studio deep in the boreal Forest of North America. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the Virtual Roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by everyone that should be here. We're all here, which is great, even though we're not all in the places that we're normally at. And having said that, I'm going to start with you, Michelle. Michelle Lampfair is normally in the United States, Black Hills of South Dakota... But today, she's somewhere else. Michelle, hello.
2: Hello.
3: I am, as we speak, sitting in sunny Santiago, Chile. It's hot and uh, late afternoon here, and it's a beautiful day. I am at uh, Hostel Casamate in the city, which is kind of a well-known motorcycle hostel. And so I apologize if there's noise. There's a few other bikers here, which is fantastic and part of the atmosphere. So, yeah. Wow! Having a good time in South America.
0: What are you doing there?
3: Well, I came down. I was so inspired by our discussion about the Patagonia Loop. No joke. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I have a friend here in Santiago I've known through Horizons Unlimited. I met him like 12 years ago. He and his girlfriend, they're from Chile rode from Chile up to Alaska and they reached out to me through Horizons Unlimited like 12 or 13 years ago for a place to stay and some insight into where they could find bike parts in uh crossing the Midwest of the U.S. and we've stayed in touch we met that year in the U.S. they stayed with me when I came down to South America I stayed with them for a couple of weeks just super nice people and the guy just started a tour and and rental business with um Some Himalayan bikes and myself and three other women from the U.S. came down to um, take part in his first women's only tour. And we decided we wanted to do the Patagonia Loop. So we did.
0: Very nice.
3: Yeah. That's great. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah. And and not only did we talk about that on Raw, we talked about it on Adventure Rider Radio. I think it inspired (laughs) a lot of people because we got a bunch of emails about it of people who are looking at that. So well, that's, great. Yeah, so that's that's pretty cool. Well, okay, so we'll, we'll talk more about this as we go along. Shirley Hardy-Ricks and Brian Ricks are in Australia. Good morning to the both of you.
4: Good morning. It's just The sun's just rising here. It's awfully early, but there you go.
2: Uh, it looks like a beautiful day, though. It's, it will be. There's no clouds in the sky, uh, bikes in the shed ticking away. Something's going to go out for a ride today at some stage, that's for sure. So, yeah, we're all ready to go.
4: And we're having a late burst of summer in autumn. It's going to be in the 30s. <coughs> Pardon me for the next three or four days. So oh, Yes, we've nice.
2: had a wonderful, wonderful summer. So, mm. um, yeah, well, um, we're still in daylight savings. We're making the most of it of the evenings and, and uh, enjoying it with our friends and riding all over um, our
0: part of the world. Wonderful. Sam Manicom is in the UK. Hello, Sam
1: hi um hello everybody yeah I, I'm I'm nothing like as as um, tired as Michelle probably is after putting in all of those masks but I am just a little bit weary I was in um, Southampton doing the uh, presentation until really rather late last night and then um, my hosts Gary and Karen um, who are kindred spirits to us all by the way yeah well Greg introduced me to some um, rum and and the night got a little bit long with storytelling and everything but um yeah lots of smiles um, all around and to my delight when they turned up to give me a hand to to sell books and so on at um the show um they're both listeners to adventure rider radio and uh yeah it's really nice nice. yeah
0: i'm just wondering if that's still called storytelling after that much drink (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> 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 we didn't get to the rambling stage we just got to the en- enthusiastic story setting shop which i kind of like um things kind of flow easily hang on a minute did i just say that yeah i did didn't i oh dear <laughs> but no it was, it was really nice evening um such a good audience really friendly people we had a, a technological glitch um for the first quarter of an hour or so and um just bless them they just sat patiently and just talked amongst themselves as as motorcyclists will do quite easily, so yeah, it was a good fun evening. And um, can I just give a shout out to Dee, the organiser, because she's one of the nicest organisers that I've ever worked with. Um, she was back with me, you know, within a few hours of any queries that I had and all of this sort of stuff. And the things that she said she was going to do when I turned up on site, um, they were there. They were ready. They were organised. She knew what to do. And this was the first time um, they were in a brand new hall. So, yeah, um, tip of the hat to Dee for all of the organising. Um, credit where credit's due. Hey,
0: Very Sam, this is one of the presentations that you do, right?
1: Mm, That's right. Um, I do quite a lot of different types of presentations, not only about um, the the different sections of the big trip, but I do presentations about um, shorter journeys in different parts of the world. So last night I was uh, talking about um, Norway. Um, You know, it started off with the comment everybody says about Norway: oh, it's too expensive to travel on a budget there. And well, I showed last night that. Actually, um, if you're travelling two up on a motor um, on one motorcycle, um, you can quite comfortably travel there for about £60 a day. Um, that's all in. Ferries, um, for, um, not food, but everything else all in. Um, so I think a few people went away last night cho- stroking their chins and thinking, wow, okay, because I'm in Norway. Um, Shirley and Brian, you've been there, haven't you? Grant, you've been
5: love there. It. Fro- love Fro- it. Love gorgeous, it, love love
1: it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely beautiful. So it's a good, fun presentation to do. Let's bring
0: Grant in. Grant's still sitting out there. Grant Johnson in British Columbia. Hello, Grant.
1: Hello,
6: hello. We have spring, but the snow line is still halfway down the mountains. But I've got two bikes apart. I've got work to do on them to get them completely ready. But I'm looking forward to proper spring and getting out and doing some riding soon, Mm. Didn't you have your
0: bikes apart last spring and wasn't it getting into riding season? I mean, why don't you, there could be two ways to handle this. One, you could do your winter work uh, or your work rather in the winter. The other one would be just be like Brian and just have like dozens of motorcycles. So there's always something (laughs) to ride. (laughs)
6: Uh, Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, I know about dozens of motorcycles and the more bikes you have, the more work there is to do and the less riding you do. However, so I just try and limit myself. I have four, and that's too many, according to Susan, but we all know the correct number of motorcycles, don't we? Yeah. Just yeah. What Brian. is it, Brian?
2: Plus, plus one, one. <laughs> one, just one more. Yep. <laughs> I think it's 15 at the mine Grant, but um, and the, it's going to be
5: a cult.
4: And the other rule is never let your wife sell them for what you told oh her There, oh, Lord, no. She is not God. allowed to sell.
2: You know, no did you see that beautiful R90S I just finished? I, I saw yes. that. Oh, that yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Well, there's a few little teething problems with right. it, you know, like... um,
4: Like making it go?
2: Oh, that's... <laughs> that, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty so, shot. So, so what's <laughs> happening,
5: right?
2: Well, well, we put it together and I thought it was all together. Other people had sort of done the forks and stuff. And I took it for a ride from where I was having it, um, the carbies looked at uh, down to get fuel. And... As I'm right, as I'm just cruising down there, the brakes felt funny. The front brakes, I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. But anyway, I pulled up at the petrol bowser and took off. And when I went to get the front brakes, there was no front brakes. And... um that someone had forgotten to put in the bolts at the bottom of the forks and the two pins holding the calipers had dropped out. So the calipers had left the, um, oh, no. the discs. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> so that's one thing. I sorted that out and then uh, I got it on the road, took it for about a 50K ride and um, uh, there's a, a lock nut. Uh, just onto the the clutch cable, as you know, ground on the old beamers. That wasn't done up, so um, I ended up with no clutch at one stage. But that's no drama. You can ride with no clutch if you have to. And then. And then.
4: (laughs) He took it for a long ride, and I said to him, do not make me put the trailer uh, on, and come and pick you up. Uh,
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, you because should have said that. i not up to that. It's <laughs> your fault. And what happened? The phone rings about an hour later and I said, where are you? Uh, uh, I've broken down. No, <laughs> 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 So probably. we had to get. <laughs> no uh,
2: I, that I have a <laughs> very, very, very good friend who are I rang up and I said, Groff, uh, what are you doing? you haven't got a wine in your hand, have you? You want to go and get my trailer? And anyway, he, he did all that. And, um, as I was sitting on the side of the road, I was actually with a guy who's a mechanic and we dropped the, 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 um, carby bowls, cleaned them out, pulled out the, um, the, one of the jets had a look at that, cleaned it out, still couldn't get it going, couldn't work it out. And, um, so I said to him, look, you go home. I'll be right. I'll be, I'll wait for, for Grant. And, um, I just thought, oh, I'll give it another go, and bang, away it went. So I rode it home. I got it home. So um, it's sitting up in the shed. I reckon Delotto carbis are a, a thing of beauty, but, by gee, are they a little bit difficult. So, um, Grant, you might know more about it than me, but um, much, that's the next little-
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> You want to come over and give us a hand, mate? Oh, <laughs> No, I'll get it going. It's a beautiful thing. It's um, it's a lovely bike, and uh, it's taken me pretty close to eight years to get it looking like it is. But um, it's a keeper, this one. Yeah. It's an absolute
5: keeper.
2: Yeah, it certainly they oh, like got a nice remit, Yeah, they beat the uh, Kawasaki 900s in the American su- uh, AMA series. Um, uh, in what?
4: the late 15th century.
2: No, it was 1970s. early. <laughs> <was> the <laughs> 70s. Oh. <laughs>
4: no, it is a beautiful thing. It, it, I just couldn't believe it when it broke down on its first big
2: ride. Ah, uh, right.
0: <laughs> oh, well. Well, for um, for today, we, we got a couple of fun things that we're going to talk about. The the first one that we're going to talk about is is sort of defining something. This is a term that we hear all the time. You see it as RTW, round the world. People say they they ride around the world, but it's it's kind of an interesting thing to say because. There aren't any real rules for this. It's not like you have to pass through a city, uh, or at least as far as I know. You have to pass through a, a certain city or take a certain route or cover even a number of miles. Yet it's a, a term that's often attributed to this this great accomplishment. So that's what we're going to talk about first. We're going to talk about round the world. What does it really mean? Um, what qualifies uh, as a round the world trip? And and maybe we'll come up with some points or uh, maybe you know, there's already some ideas of, of places that you have to pass through to make it around the world trip. So my question would be, let's start it. What, what, what is around the world? What, what does it really mean? Sam, let's, let's start with you.
1: I, I, in purest terms, I think it's circumnavigation of the globe. And I don't think it matters whether you go to all continents or whether you go to the three that really join the dots of the journey around the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it can mean different things to different uh, people. depends on how you're traveling. But, of course, this is always to do with motorcycling for us around the world. I know that sailors say it. I mean, all kinds of people say, you know, around the world.
1: I think the ultimate round the world is to try and tick off the six main continents. That's the ultimate round the world. But, I mean, actually, there aren't that many people still who have ridden around the world, are they? I mean, Grant, your finger is firmly on the pulse with that, isn't it?
6: Oh, yeah. There's... I think uh, there's far more than people realize. Uh, We've got our circumnavigators list with currently 324, I think it is, on it. But I know that there's literally thousands more. Really? Thousands? Thousands. People keep coming out of the woodwork all the time. Like, all of a sudden, there's this guy. I've never heard of him, don't know anything about him, know nothing. Nobody knows anything about him. You can't find anything. But this person exists um what's her name um joy a a new zealander woman just recently also never heard of her joy mckean way back in 1955 went around the world on a bsa bantam 150 never heard of her the Mm. only people that knew anything about her were the bsa owners club in new zealand but Mm. somebody wrote to us and said hey what here what about joy mckean who wow okay she went all over the place on a bantam so I mean, th- th- it happens very... all the time
1: yeah exactly i mean there are very many people who have got no interest in sharing their trips on social media and all of the rest of it have they and of course back then there's social media haha <laughs> um, <laughs> but um there are very many people who just don't they just yep. get on with it quietly don't they they do their Exactly. Thing
6: and- there's a lot of people who do it for themselves the The modern concept of doing it for your audience was, is completely foreign to them. Um, so there's there's lots and lots of people who've done these trips. Like I said, we just keep hearing about more and more
0: and more all the time. So I'm sure that there's thousands, easily. Well, like if you think of, you know, the Iron Butt Rally, you know, things like that. Um, Iron Butt has a certain criteria that you have to meet and they've got a whole way to do it, to consider it their accomplishment. for For the round-the-world thing... What do you need to accomplish? Well, like, how do you become around the world traveler? You know, if somebody who's to set out now, what points would they have to pass through? What would, they have to, what would they have to do? It's a very flexible thing. And this is
6: something we have discussed many times. Um, to give a little bit of history on what we've done, Mark Holmes wrote to me back in 2020. And he said, uh, while riding around the world, a thought occurred to me that I have still been unable to answer. How many people have circumnavigated the globe on a motorcycle? I concluded that it could be anywhere between 100 and 1,000, but really I have no idea where the answer might might lie. So he was working away on putting together a bit of list and checking around, and he got in contact with me, and we decided to do a circumnavigators page. So you can go to that at horizonsunlimited.com slash circumnavigators, or if you're a lazy typist like me, slash round RTW will do as well. And we started the list, and we worked out the basic criteria of what we seemed what we thought seemed reasonable. So that, but it's all very flexible and very much in the mind of the doer or the beholder. You, you know, some people want to be extremely um, locked in. You must do absolutely this. You must cross every continent or whatever. but if you feel like you've done it, yeah, you've probably done it. As long as you've done, around the world and you started and finished at roughly the same point so and two wheels as far as we're concerned two wheels is ideal sidecars permitted any direction any continent any country continuous journey by motorcycle brakes permitted uh the same motorcycle is not required in our opinion it's okay to change bikes i mean if your bike is destroyed totaled in an accident does that mean suddenly you haven't done around the world well no, and I know people that have gone around the world by buying a motorcycle per continent, and that's fine. Um, of course, you got to. What about
4: doing it in bits, Grant?
6: I think doing it in bits is okay um, if it's semi-continuous, contiguous. Like you, you do London to Australia, and then you do another trip. You do South America, and then do North America, or whatever, something like that. I think that's fine. It's around the world. You went around the world. Time is not really a relevant thing. Um, and like, for instance, we went uh, through Africa. We had to fly from Cairo to Kenya because you couldn't get through Sudan at the time. Yeah, okay, that's fine. We, we did Africa north to south close enough, best you could. Um, I mean, wars and pandemics causes minor issues. Um, so, and if you had a passenger, for instance, your passenger did around the world. Yes, they did it on the back of the bike. That's fine. So, those are our basic criteria.
0: Still yeah, that's fairly right. vague. I mean, because you said as long as, you know, they've went around the world and they started and finished in the same points, um, that's still fairly va- vague. And and Sam mentioned, you know, the ultimate, I know you weren't saying this is a thing, but it could be the ultimate RTW, the ultimate around the world would be covering all six continents. Nonsense you think that's
1: nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's necessary. That was fairly
6: feeling? Mark Grant. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite solid on that. I, I think it's not critical to do every six continents. I mean, you could easily go uh-huh. around the world by doing North America, Africa, Australia, and back to North America. You now, cross the equator twice. That oh, I that's not what you said, yeah. but I'm just saying that all six continents is not required.
1: No, no, no. That's what I said. What I said was circumnavigation of the globe. That's around the world. But the ultimate around the world is when you can, um, on the same trip, do all six continents. That's the ultimate. Yes. So it's almost as if I'm creating a new title without intent. But well, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, But it's uh, it's it's, well, it's round the world. Well,
2: Sam, uh, yeah, I was saying. Yeah, I I didn't think uh, around the world was that relevant for our travels. But we have done it, I'm sure. But yeah. Um, to me, it was uh, experience all six, six continents. That's what I wanted to do. And we actually experienced seven continents.
4: <laughs> and, and circumnavigate yeah. actually means around. So as you say, Grant, you go North America, South America, so you're just sort of following one band of the world. That's the true meaning of circumnavigate.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: So you'd either go around the equator or you go around the 68th whatever degree line to do those, the four major continent, four continents that you're talking about. So, round the world and circumnavigate are probably two different things yeah. if you yeah. want to be a purist on the use of language. Yeah, well,
2: that's right. You could walk around the, 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 the uh, South Pole if you wanted to. That's around the
4: yep,
2: world.
6: That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. it is, <laughs> technically, <laughs> arguably, although I the think one of, common, yeah, one of the common definitions <laughs> is that you must cross the equator twice.
2: Yeah, yeah, That's, oh, that's
6: yeah. a very yeah. common definition that would mean that you have actually gone around the world and eliminates the cheaters going around the South pole. So
4: (laughs) (laughs) I think let them have it to do that. Let them have it. Oh yeah.
6: I think that's a, that's a, it's an achievement in itself, but it's not around the world.
1: One of my friends, Mark, um, he doesn't think of himself as around the world, I think, but he's one of the smartest motorcycle overlanders that I've come across because what he's done is he goes off um, and he, he, he travels for a year, year and a half, something like that, comes home, works like the clappers for another year and then goes off and does another section of the world for another year and a half and then comes back. And so with doing that, he's been around the world. But um, he's still got a house and he's still got a garage with motorcycles in it and all of these sorts of things. But I don't think he thinks of himself as being around the world. But he's been to all of those places like Brian and Shirley, you have. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that people who have done their around the world journey in chunks um, is wrong. I I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant because in the end, why do we travel? We travel because we want the knowledge and the experience is gained in as many different parts of the world. So, yeah, it's, it is very difficult, isn't it, to put a, a strict set of guidelines on this. And darn it, we're motorcyclists and we're all different. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different yeah. idea.
3: Here, here, And I, I happen to have just recently, here in South America, in fact, had the pleasure of meeting two young women from North America, from Wisconsin, actually, who are traveling. And one is attempting at the moment to be the youngest female to circumnavigate the globe on a motorcycle. And she she was kind of filling me in. And I apologize. I tried to research and look online to find out what the uh, requirements are for Guinness. And it's a bit vague when you're trying to research online. I think you'd actually have to go through the application process to find out the details. But my understanding... Is that it was a minimum, they had a minimum requirement, excuse me, for the number of continents that she needed to uh, ride on. She had to have a continuous trip with one motorcycle. I know, um, again, these are all kind of different interpretations of it. But for Guinness, it was one motorcycle, continuous trip. She had to cross the equator twice. She had to have a minimum of a certain amount of mileage. And don't hold me to it. It was something like, 30,000 miles or whatever the number was. Um, so there were some very specific terms for that eligibility for a world record. Um, I myself, yeah, I found it fascinating and I was hoping to be able to come up with what those terms or, or requirements actually were according to Guinness, but I wasn't able to track them down before uh, today. So I, I find that really interesting. I, I feel like it's open to interpretation. I have um, some Swiss friends who rode um, across Europe and Asia, did North and South America. And they were kind of humble in saying that they didn't think they were round the world travelers because they hadn't gone to Africa or to Australia. But they certainly put in tens of thousands of miles and rode all over four continents intensively. Um, so it, it, it's funny to see the different interpretations. I am not, I should mention, for clarification, I am not a round-the-world traveler. I've ridden on four continents, um, but not long distances. Like I flew into Pakistan and uh, rented a bike in Thailand and I've kind of hopscotched around. So I, I'm the freshman of the group and I'm hoping to add that to my uh, list of accomplishments someday. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to piecemeal it. I'm not going to do it all in one long trip.
0: Yep. That makes infinite about. sense. It's interesting yeah. that the just looking at the term round the world, because Grant, you said a lot of people say that you should have to go through you should cross the border twice. Equator. Sorry, the equator. Yeah, you cross yeah. the border, you're gonna cross the border more times <laughs> than <But yes>, cross, <laughs> cross the equator twice. Now now that has that leans more to the thought process of exploring a continent, but around the world, if you think about it just round the world, you can go around the world without crossing the equator there's there's no problem with that riding a motorcycle and using whatever transportation you need for the oceans so yes but then then theoretically you haven't done
6: an actual proper circumnavigation because if you don't cross the equator twice you haven't done the maximum possible distance you ah. can easily go again you could do it around walk around the south pole without crossing the equator you haven't you haven't done the, the theoretical distance now just for the record the circumference of the earth which is something that Guinness requires, is a minimum of 24,900 miles or 40,074 kilometers, I think it is. Um, so that's, I think for Guinness, that's the requirement, is twice across the equator, as Michelle was saying, you've got to do it continuous on the same bike, and you
0: must do that distance. That's the minimum. Because around the world, that when you're referring it to, in the sense that we're talking about it for motorcycles, doesn't it mean exploring... It's not so much circling the globe, it's exploring the world, exploring where people live, correct?
6: We would like to think that and in the context of a motorcyclist going for a big trip and wanting to see the world, that's a, a proper, I hate to use the word, but for the best, best word I can come up with, way to go around the world. But if you're out for a record, which is Guinness or whatever, There is a certain basic minimum, but that doesn't mean you have to spend any time anywhere. I mean, look at Nick Saunders. He's got a record for around the world. Fastest man around the world. What was it, 80 days or something ridiculous? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. How much exploring did he do? Zero.
2: Mm, That's right.
0: So 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 what what do we want to call? What does the moniker get you? Like, What what do you become by being able to say that you're a round-the-world motorcycle traveler? Whatever you want it to mean is my
6: opinion. That means nothing then. Well, if Very you're Guinness, you can, make it, you can make it mean something if you're Guinness. Otherwise, what do we want to do? Give out awards <laughs> for somebody who says they've been around well, the world? I don't I mean, know, what Maybe does it we could
0: because so far we could give out a reward for the round the world award. Of course, then there'd be a around the world ultimate. And then there would be a proper Round the world, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> many of the people, uh, that a I know, of time
6: must do at least a year. I don't know; it's a battle.
1: <laughs> many of the people that I know that have ridden around the world just don't think it's a big deal. It's just something that they've been incredibly fortunate to be able to do, and they've learned a lot, and not only about all these different nations, but um, about their motorcycles, um, especially Carb carbs. Um, <laughs> And they've learned a lot about themselves too. Um, yes. And that's more important to them than it is um, having a T-shirt that says, I rode around the world.
4: I think I might, I'm probably going to commit heresy here, <laughs> but there is a fair amount of snobbery <laughs> in people, some people who say I rode around the world rather than just getting on their bike and traveling around the world and through X amount of countries, X amount of continents and having a really good time. Yeah. yeah,
2: mm-hmm, yeah. We didn't really think about it, but, you know. we,
4: well, we didn't. We, you know, we just. No. We went to where we wanted we went, to go with um, A and B. You
2: know, we started in Melbourne. We finished in Melbourne. We rode uh, South America. One trip bottom. we finished in. It, yeah, one trip. Went up to the top of Alaska, then Europe. We couldn't get through the top of Africa, but we went down to the bottom of Africa and come up and then crossed Australia. So, I Suppose that's around the world, but it is. We didn't have to think about it. So, so that when you go got to home,
0: Asia. you got a knock on the door, and somebody came and presented <laughs> you with your round the world award.
5: Sure, oh, yeah. it's hanging on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it,
2: you know it, that, that was a great trip, and it was how long did take that oh, no, no. 16 months or something? But, um, you know, our first trip was we crossed the equator and we had a
4: Oh, you know, absolutely. But we started oh. – but then um, one of the criteria on Grant's list is you have to start in, start and end in the same location. Mm-hmm. More, or to, yeah, yeah, more or less. Um, but you're allowed to – yeah, uh, more or less. But you're allowed to use other transport to get to a land mass. So from Australia, when we did England to Australia, Our bike started in Melbourne and then flew to London and rode back. Now, I wouldn't say we rode around the world. We rode across the world. But theoretically, the bike left Melbourne and had to travel over water, so it was allowed in a plane, or actually it went in a boat, boat, and then we rode it back, crossing the equator, going through all those places, and the only – the only time it, uh, it wasn't on the road was crossing Myanmar, which we weren't allowed to do in, in those days, and getting from Asia to, to Northern Australia. But that's not an around-the-world trip. But it's a bloody big trip and it took us 12 months and it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so I wouldn't <laughs> like to be shunned or looked down upon because we didn't cross the equator try, twice, but we rode across the world. But it's good, good enough for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, well said.
6: Yep. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't think we give it the the round the world for that, because that's halfway around the world or three quarters of the way around the world.
4: So, so we sure could get a singlet exactly. rather than a singlet <laughs> rather than a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
6: but you've also done North and South America, so.
4: Yeah, the, and, and on that trip, the bike left uh, left Melbourne in a plane to get uh, to the sure. landmass yeah. to yeah. Chile on oh, ship yeah. to Chile, and then we did North and South America. Uh, yeah, and then to, and then flew to, the UK. to UK, and we're heading to get the ferry to Africa when the Arab Spring broke out and the ferry stopped running. So we had to go back to England, fly the bike to Africa, travelled around um, southern yeah. Africa, middle Africa, and then went flew the boat bike to Australia, west coast, and rode most east, of the way coast, yeah. Uh,
5: yeah.
4: to the east coast. So that but does that constitute a round the world trip? I think so. Yeah. Because the only thing that stopped us was war
6: yep.
4: and ocean. Yeah. Well, you
6: did Europe and then you went from Europe to what part of Africa you could get to and rode around yeah. down there and then shipped, yep. obviously, to Australia and then rode across yep. Australia even, which, yeah, that kind of fits But the we didn't go to me. Asia. Doesn't matter. We didn't
4: go to Asia on that trip, but we did go to Antarctica, <laughs> but without the bike. Yeah. <laughs> But you did easier when you went London
2: back home. Yeah, and speaking of that, I I, I really think that um, Antarctica should not be on anyone's list on a motorcycle. It's so pristine. You don't want to see
6: anybody. That's what i was suggesting. You stay that way, Can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were there in 97. And we were on the boat on the way to Antarctica and we were talking to the captain about what we'd been doing and the trip and everything. He said, well, you should have told me. We could have loaded your BMW yeah. on the uh, uh, Zodiac and you could have ridden on, on Antarctica. I said, well, now turn the boat around. He said, no, can't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, it was legal then, but it isn't now. Mm-hmm.
2: No. Yeah, but I think there's a couple of people that have, uh, you know, the trumpet that they've, they've taken a motorcycle. I, I, I just think that's wrong. I, yes, I can't I agree. agree with it.
6: I
5: don't
0: like it at all. Okay. Well, let, I mean, I, I just can't help but go back to this around the world. If it's a term, it has to be defined somehow. And I'm just wondering if, if to define this, it almost couldn't be a point system, you know, where you have, you've got to collect so many points. And, and that's by, by going through so many continents. Or, or really, it should be countries. Because, I mean, you know, if you skip North Africa, I mean, you haven't seen the whole continent. You've experienced part of it. Um, And of course, time would be in there and certainly distance. And what about this one motorcycle thing or, or more than one motorcycle? I mean, if you're using more than one motorcycle to travel around the world, aren't you just sort of like leapfrogging from one thing to another to another? I mean, is that, could that really be around the world trip? It just seems there's an awful lot of vagueness. Even Grant, when I hear you say when when you're listening to you know the the countries that Brian and Shirley went through, you say, "Well, okay, that would doesn't that doesn't matter. If you, you didn't go to Asia, that doesn't matter." Why why are we so flexible no, with this?
6: Because uh, I think you could argue about it for years, and you would never get absolute agreement. I mean, Mark and I went around and around and around on this, and it's something I've been thinking about like for twenty odd, twenty plus years what is around the world it's very very much in your personal opinion as to what do you think is the minimum required guinness has a minimum requirement we, we could say that that is the minimum requirement for around the world okay that's the the book definition it's written down but yeah does it matter do we care So long as you've done what you feel is around the world, you physically, personally went around the world most of the time, as best as possible on a motorcycle, that's fine. And If you touched down in Cairo and then flew it to Cape Town and then flew to Australia, yeah, I don't think that counts. But if you actually rode around, did what you could, sure, it counts. I know somebody who did – well, I know he's done, I won't say the number because it would identify him, but he's done more than one around the world. And I know that on at least two, if not three of those, he did not count or did not do Africa, but he still actually did go around the world. It's
0: terrible. Well, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to me, the only way that you can, you can really sort this out is if you're going to say around the world, it has to mean something because otherwise anybody could say it. I mean, I could say I went around the world. I certainly haven't even, even close to being around the world on a motorcycle. So, I mean, well, I've been around the world on an airplane. So, what? I well, mean, literally
6: in a so, three week period, around the world on an airplane. So, Do I count be- that as anything?
1: No. Jim, are you suggesting that we need to have two titles, um, two different t-shirts? And one is a t-shirt that says Circumnavigator. And that means that basically you've circumnavigated the globe by hook or by crook. And the other one, um, uh, Round the Worlder, or the ultimate Round the Worlder, which is Every Continent.
0: I I like that. So we get a Circumnavigator. We've got a Round the World. We've got the ultimate Round the World. We've got the proper Round the World. And then we may as well have (laughs) an alumni Round the World for the people who do it more than once.
1: Is the Adventure Rider Radio Raw, uh, Adventure Rider Radio website big enough to be able to stop all of these different types of t-shirts?
0: I don't think so. I don't think so.
1: How about just Jim? How about a t-shirt that just says "I've done it"?
0: It yes, that's, that that could be it. I'm thinking that you know it would have to be a point system. You get a point for each country. It would have to include distance, time, and don't you think the motorcycle should be the same? Motorcycle? Doesn't that doesn't that make sense? I mean, you know, you said Guinness, uh, Grant, you said you, you think Guinness requires that to be one motorcycle. There's a mm-hmm. lot of sense in that, you know, as far as achieving something.
6: Yeah, if you want to go for a record and be official, sure, fine.
4: If you're unlucky enough to trail your bike where it can't be repaired or have your bike stolen, should that um, prevent you from getting one of these T-shirts.
0: No, not at all, but it should send you back to the start where you start again with a new bike. You're
4: a Gene,
1: you're a, stirrer, you're a <laughs> I, I, think, I think it all comes down to the panniers. So the moral of that story is it doesn't matter what the bike is so long as the panniers make it around the world.
5: Yeah, what if you cry? Oh, the tide. Yeah. Oh.
1: You, you have to bash you the do map. stickers and map. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's the one,
2: Michelle. You know, uh, being there, got the sticker. That's all we get. T-shirt. Do you know,
1: I, I think that we need to stop using <laughs> the
5: phrase
1: "round the world traveler. I think that that's just totally misleading. And obviously, as a result of this conversation, incredibly confusing and open to discussion. And maybe we actually start, um, or to say, TMT rather than RTW. TMT? What's TMT yeah. Transcontinental Motorcycle Traveller. Oh, yeah?
3: Not <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, I'll
1: no,
5: right. have what's, to think about
3: it. Yeah, tra- Transcontinental
1: well, Motorcycle Traveller.
3: Well, I'll qualify for that. Can I at least get a buff? <laughs> 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 a wristband or something, a sticker?
1: <laughs> I, I think, yeah, absolutely. Definitely
2: a buff. All right. <laughs> We've got to we got to get a tattoo.
4: No, we don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we do that.
0: So really, it's just a multi-country <laughs> motorcycle traveler, more than round-the-world traveler.
6: If, if you've gone a then that's fine.
3: And transcontinental, as Sam said, implies that they're riding across the entire continent.
6: Yeah. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, okay, you can ride across the bottom of South America, Chile Mm. to Argentina. Mm. Is that transcontinental? Or do you have to do it from Colombia to Brazil?
0: Hmm. Well, it should and be I a ratio, it shouldn't it? You know, with, with some, uh, a ratio with the total number of miles of road in a country, and you need a certain percentage of that that you would have to cover. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is going to get really complicated You oh, no. realize this. There's going to be a manual that's going to weigh several pounds when you print it off.
4: <laughs> if you start going with that, no one will qualify in Australia. Yeah, Even Australians won't qualify in Australia.
0: Yeah, but
2: you yeah. yeah. think of Europe as the opposite. <laughs> Are they dirt roads? Do all the dirt roads?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <Edgy>. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe the point is that we should have T-shirts made up um, saying RTW and underneath have um, outlines of, st- of six stars and the number of continents you've done, you have each of those stars filled in. How about that? That'll settle it.
0: That's, that's oh. simplistic. <laughs> but, yeah. No, no, well.
2: Well, I've got to say, when we were on the the ship going out to Antarctica, there was people that had done the seven continents. They got seven shots of their alcohol of choice. Maybe we could do that.
0: Mm, that's <laughs> an <laughs> <absolutely amazing laughs> idea. Okay, so <laughs> if how many continents have to be traversed in a uh, in a reasonable fashion? How many? Six. No.
3: I think four or, well, I, I saw on the internet someplace three to six, but I'm thinking, yeah, four to six.
0: Well, we just have to because go with the I don't base think number. That, so four.
6: I don't, you yeah,
1: four. You could do it with three. You could do
6: it with three. Yeah, you could do North America, uh, Africa, and Australia and back to North America. So that would be kind of your minimum.
1: Or you could do Fair Europe, Asia, North America. Yeah.
0: That's well, what I was that, afraid
6: that, that doesn't cross the, the
3: equator.
0: doesn't cross the no, equator. It doesn't. Nope. But nope. why do you need to cross the equator?
3: You have to get the at least the minimum distance around the widest part, the, the biggest diameter around the planet.
0: Yeah. So so for continents, uh, <laughs> is, is there um, a minimum time that you, sh- you should be doing this in? or Or if you're screaming along like Nick Sanders, can you do it like that? I don't think time matters. I think
3: you get extra points for taking longer.
0: Yeah, so that means
3: you're exploring more and seeing if you're doing a point system.
0: Extra points, okay. So, so, so for now, are there are there particular points that someone would have to pass through? I mean, surely there must be. I, I know we've said the equator. That's it. That's it. I
3: take that back. I think that Guinness actually was requiring this young lady to do certain points that she had to ride through now that you mentioned that. And I can't re- she didn't mention what they were.
0: Well, that would make oh. sense to me. Like, because that way, if you have points, you kind of have to get between them, which would force you to travel, I mean, somewhat certain distances, right? Right. right. So, I mean, if you took a point in South America and you took a point, well, maybe midway, maybe central and, and then North America, um, and the, and you had to cross through all those points. Chances are, you're going to have to go either north to south or south to north and, and cover
1: the whole distance. You know, yeah. Pasper 2 would have the answer to all of this.
6: Who? <laughs> What's the answer?
1: Phileas Fogg. Come on, around the world in eighty days. <laughs> <Leos
2: Folk. laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I feel like we're getting nowhere with this. <laughs> I think it's impossible <laughs> to define and lock it in.
2: Right. We're going around in circles, Jim. Right. What
0: oh, I like that, Brian. That's very good. You, you can go sit with Sam now. <laughs> Oh, Brian. Wow. Yeah, that's
6: that's good point. Could I steal that one?
0: <laughs> okay. So, now, did you guys want to c- try and come up with some parameters for this, or you just want to throw up your hands and say, "Forget it. I give up. Let's just let everybody use these terms, and we'll just mean whatever we want." You want to say your RTW? Your RTW. Simple as that. Pretty oh, much. Yeah. Yeah. Sit yeah. around the campfire with
2: your mates and argue the point.
0: Okay. I like this. So we started out with RTW wondering what it really means. We've come up with the fact that we don't know what it really means. It really means nothing, but people seem to know when they've done it. Everyone, everyone seems to know that because you guys have said, no, that's not really, or yes, that is. So you'll know it when you do it because you'll feel it, but you can't really say what it is.
1: What really matters is that you get out of your home <laughs> and you go and explore okay, as man. much of the world as possible. Yes. That's what really
4: Yes, Sam. Well said
1: yep yep okay well we'll leave it
6: at
0: that and uh, sorry jim <laughs> there's
6: no defined definition <laughs> I,
0: I think you could do it you could definitely come up with with a plan the thing is will everyone like it no everyone won't like it nope. because everyone won't be able definitely to not. to cover everything but it's it but it's an interesting term around the world mm. yep and why is it rtw why not atw yep. And I know
6: I get that every once in a while. Around (laughs) the
0: world. The acronym doesn't even make sense. None of it makes sense. No, it doesn't. Moving on. (laughs) Around the world is a a contraction of around the world. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break. After the break, we're going to come back and talk about top fears of motorcycle travel or tropes about motorcycle travel, those type of things.
6: But before you do, oh, what? Everybody who thinks they or feels like they have done and around the world, or an RTW, or a circumnavigation, go to horizonsunlimited.com slash RTW. See, I fell into that trap too, slash RTW, and fill in your details, and we'll put you up on the page. And for those who are interested in this whole subject, well, there's 324 people, as of yesterday, I think it was, who have done all these trips with links and all that kind of stuff,
0: pictures, the works. I feel like you're dragging me back into this, Grant, and I can't help it. I'm going to have to go for this because, okay, <laughs> okay so go. are are you going to refuse somebody if they fill it out and you say, that's not around the world? Well, if they've done One Continent, no, it's
6: not around the world. <laughs> that's not good enough. If it looks reasonable and it fits our criteria, which we have listed on the page, then you're in. Okay. That's fine.
2: And is well, there is there a place best, on... It's put our name up there, I think, mate.
6: Exactly. Yeah, and, and is, it,
0: is there a place to debate the criteria uh, on the hub?
6: No, but there's nothing stopping
0: anybody from posting
6: a threat on the hub in the, uh, in the hub hub there ought and to be. Uh, adding that. Yeah. yeah no there, there ought to be, there ought to be a
0: discussion and everyone should, should join in and, and give their theory on what should be around the world and help come up with some parameters that will actually award some people this, this coveted RTW logo along with the ultimate and the proper and the alumni and uh, the circumnavigation one. Yep. Okay. Well, as soon as this,
6: this uh, thing goes live, I will post it on the
0: hub. Okay. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. I've got two things I want to tell you about when we come back, we're going to, you know, get more into this, finish this off, stay with us. So this episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s, and what they do is they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team building exercises. They work with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Comic Relief, and Yahoo to so have a look at freshtracks.co.uk. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw. freshtracks.co.uk. Cass and Moses is a law firm that specializes in representing us motorcyclists. I know we don't like to think about being in a crash, but if it happens, imagine the value of having a law firm that understands motorcycling at the core, that's been doing it for 30 years. They will understand our point of view as a rider and what riding is all about. I also noticed on their website that they have a list there of what to do if you've been involved in a crash, which we should all read. It includes things like preserving the evidence, which they say is vital in trying to get compensated for anything. Things like surroundings, road conditions, weather, direction of travel. There's a whole list there. And you can try and imagine what it would be like to figure this out after the fact, after it's all over and you go back weeks later or something. Knowing what to do if you're involved in a crash is key. Another one they list never admit fault. That's one that I've learned years ago. It's easy, I think, to get discombobulated or maybe feel bad that you were involved in a crash. You know, just the whole thing is it's just unsettling. But maybe it wasn't your fault. Wait for the legal system to decide. Don't admit fault. Anyway, their website has a lot more information like that, and it's probably worth jotting it down. Bottom line is, if you've been hurt in a motorcycle accident, even if you don't think you have a case, Cass and Moses says you should call. Their number is 1-800-MOTORCYCLE. Love the number, 1-800-MOTORCYCLE. And meanwhile, even if you haven't had an issue, I just mentioned to you some of the information they have on their website, but they also have a free book called Standing Up for Bikers That Go Down that you can register for and get Apparently it deals with a better understanding of insurance and they've got a bunch of stories from dealing with 30 years of representing injured motorcyclists. The website is CassandMoses.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw, cassandmoses.com And by the way, the links like that, they're always on our website. Go to the bottom of our website, any page, you'll see the link there. Okay. We ready to get back to it? We can me these. Yeah, yeah. All right top fears of motorcycle travel so we're really going to talk about these tropes that go around about motorcycle travel uh i I guess all travel really in 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 general but i mean you know anything to do with motorcycle of of course through in here shall we make a list first of of, do you you guys have ideas that you think are are some of the top things you hear can i
4: can i start with one please yeah please please having the fear that my trip will or won't be classed as round the world. <laughs>
0: no, now that is a valid one. That I didn't think of that. That is so true.
3: Oh, sorry, that's perfect.
0: That was fantastic. I'm
3: not. It was
6: hilarious.
0: <laughs> so, so do do we want to list these, or, or should we just sort of take them as as we throw them out there?
6: Let's throw them out.
1: Okay.
0: So let's start it off with saying something like, like, in other words, a fear somebody would have, for instance, or, or something you might hear often, um, travel is dangerous for women. We hear this. So so let's just tackle that one to begin with. Is travel dangerous for women? Is it more dangerous than it would be for men? Is it dangerous at all? What do you guys think?
6: I think you can back up a step from that and just say, um, one of the phrases that I always remember is, you're going to die. And everybody gets that. Right. We had an event in Mexico a number of years ago, and the number one topic of discussion was all my friends said, if I cross the border into Mexico, I'll die. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the number one fear that people have, is they're going to go to these strange, exotic places, and they're going to die because they listen to the news and they watch TV and all the rest of it, and everything says it's dangerous out there. People die. Well, yeah, but they die in your hometown too. Mm. I mean, yeah. Here in the Lower Fraser Valley in that BC, there's been half a dozen shootings just in the last few weeks. So it's it's nuts. Mm. But, really?
1: but yeah, in Canada. Yeah, I mean that's Canada. They, I know you don't shoot each other.
3: Oh, oh. that's terrible. Mm.
6: Well, both Canada and the USA have been on European countries, and I won't mention which ones. List for do not go. It's dangerous. In the last twenty
4: years, anyway. um, France was on Australia's because of the pickpockets in Paris. Not a do yes. not go, but a right. things you should be aware of, cautious of. Mm-hmm. That yes. Paris was a dangerous city because of pickpockets. Well, yeah, yeah you can Paris get A's robbed in suburban Melbourne. Yeah, it would be sure. Yeah,
6: yeah. Um, I, I think that's
4: we're all going to die one day, but not today, hopefully. Yes. But yeah, when you do a trip, that's always a risk. But
6: that's a risk when you get on your bike and ride to the shops. Yep. Well, I'm always remembering um, a story that we talk about when we do our four easy steps to round the world travel presentation. And that is this guy was in his house, middle of the night, sound asleep, other people in the house and other bedrooms in the house, and a sinkhole opened up underneath him. And he died. They still haven't recovered his body. Everybody else in the
1: house
4: was fine. He was home safe in his bed, Mm. and he died. When your number's up, your number's up. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Right. This is going to sound really crass thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Listen, if you stay at home and you don't take the risk to get out and see this world, then you are missing out big time. It's absolutely incredible. And if you die, well, you're dead. So, you're not going to worry about it anymore.
3: <laughs> and what is this? I think I've heard the saying before, and it's very true. We all die, but not everyone lives. So, get yes. out there and live.
5: Yeah.
2: Mm, that's, that's one of my mottos. Yes. Yeah. And you only die one day, but you've got to live every day is another one. And to me, that oh, so that's so true. true that's very true yeah. but but let's
0: yep. really look at this thing this fear of traveling and and figure out is mm. is it legitimate you know is it more dangerous are there heightened risks going traveling as opposed to staying home so let's say my have my day-to-day life I go about my business here at home I go off to work I work at the grocery store and and then I come home is it equal risk to do that day after day as it is if I decided to pack things up quit my job, and go traveling for two years, maybe not around the world. Cause I don't know if I'm going to cover all those continents, but <laughs> 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 you're going to go, is it higher risk? Like, is there like, do we have a higher risk? And I know we're not stati- st- statisticians. Is that the word statisticians? Stat- t- t- statist- statisticians. Statistician. 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 Thank yeah. you very much. And And I don't think any of us are economists. So figuring this out is probably way above our pay grade. But but think about that. Do you do you think that it's higher risk when you travel than when you're at home?
5: Well, let me, yeah. Let me make stands to reason.
6: Yeah. Um, the number one risk of somebody traveling around the world on a motorcycle is the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Are yes. we all agreed yeah. on that? You mean yes. the fact that you're riding yeah. the They're motorcycle riding and mo- it exposes you're riding a you. motorcycle, right. That makes you more dangerous. Whether you're riding. Sit within six blocks of your home, and it seems to me there's a statistic somewhere that says most accidents happen within a mile of your home. Right. So if you that's get farther 10, away, yeah. it's probably that, safe is,
2: All of a sudden, Grant, that is actually a statistic, and it's within ten kilometers uh, in in kilometers language of your home. Yep. Most people die on the road in that yeah. in that vicinity because familiarity breeds contempt.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And, I was, and okay. just and, looking
6: and, for the right phrase for that. <laughs> yep. But, but that's what right. it is, isn't it? Shit! Sure. Yeah. Did you it get sloppy? Yeah. Lucky. I know. When yep. I'm in a strange place, boy, I'm firing on all cylinders and I'm paying attention. Yep. Mm-hmm. But so you're going, you but at the rides.
3: same time, there are different obstacles. That, yeah, yeah. There's different road conditions. There's different surfaces. There's different road signs that maybe you may not even notice. Um, there's customs within a country that people take for granted, and there may not be signs posted for visitors, certainly maybe ones that we can't even read, to warn you about something ahead. Maybe you're entering a landslide area or um, what have you. Maybe, you know, any number of things can come up that affect road conditions. And you being unfamiliar with the terrain really exposes you, I think, to more risk.
0: So... So, what we're saying here is then there is a heightened risk. Even though your your senses are heightened, as you said, Grant, Mm -hmm. you're firing on all cylinders, you're paying attention to everything, there is an increased risk. And and the one thing you didn't mention there, Michelle, was the other drivers in in, in some of the other countries. I mean, you must have been experiencing that yourself just on this trip.
6: Some of them are frightening. Yes. Let's let's not talk about Cairo or Marseille or Bangkok. (laughs) Right. Or um, Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah,
3: pretty- see, I had forgotten. I mean, I haven't ridden in South America for a few years. I think the last time I was down here road was in 2019 or 2020. And being back in cities, I forget about just the the nuances of traveling in cities like Santiago or Barloche, you know, mountain towns, the The way that people use turn signals to indicate that it's safe for you to pass them or not Mm -hmm. is very different from country to country. The way that people use lighting, um, hand signals, the way that um, signs and roads are marked. I'm rusty and I can tell the difference. I'm more at risk because the way that I ride and interpret other drivers' behavior is different than if I were a local. And the way they're expecting me to react to their actions and the way they're driving is different. So I'm mm. I'm at risk because I'm out of sync
6: with that. That's a really good point. Yeah. I have a, a basic philosophy in all of those situations you just mentioned. I just plain don't trust my anything except my own eyes. If I don't feel yes. it, safe, I, I ignore what they say. I mean that's flashing yes. your turn signals that it's okay in one country, flashing your turn signals that it's not okay in another country. I don't pay any attention to any of that. And I think that's the only sensible way to do it because you just don't know What they're going to do? I mean, I've run into that in North America. People flashing turn signals at me. What do you mean? Are you turning or are you indicating go or what? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's well. Here's that's the
3: reason. Here's the other side of it. If I turn my left turn signal on thinking that I intend to turn left in South America, they interpret it that it's the perfect time to pass me. Ouch. So it's not that I'm even evaluating their lights. They're reading mine in a different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't trust what they're doing with their flashers, but they're actually reacting differently to mine. And I have to remember all of those different in, you know, nuances to how everybody handles things differently in traffic in their own countries.
0: Mm -hmm. So Michelle, to hear you explain this right now, to hear you talk about this, then what you're saying is it's very dangerous to go off and travel by motorcycle in other countries.
3: Not enough to keep you home, but yes. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yes. One of my favorite sayings is um, the only time to travel fast is when you have no options. So leave yourself with plenty of options. And what you've just been talking about, Michelle, is absolutely key to that. And one of the things about being long distance motorcycle traveler is that you're traveling gently and you're learning, you're watching um, what other people are doing, you're learning from that and you're adapting. And quite a few of um, friends who um, have done big distance um, trips out of their own country on motorcycles, the first thing they do when they get to a new country is spend a couple of days just pottling around and watching how the other traffic's behaving. And then they adapt their dry, their riding style to, to suit as best as they can what the locals are doing. And I am sure they're safer because they do that. Mm-hmm.
6: Absolutely. I, I agree. Yeah, don't try and cover a lot of ground on your first day or two in a country because it's, well, just don't generally try and cover a lot of ground in a strange country. It's just the danger is higher for sure.
0: Okay. So let, let's just let's just stay yeah. with what we're talking about here, though, because we're talking about is travel dangerous, is travel by motorcycle dangerous, and, and listening to everything Michelle's saying, which makes 100% sense for what I'm hearing, it's a heightened risk. It's more dangerous to ride our motorcycles and travel. Does anyone disagree with that statement? Okay. So let me just say then, how risky is this? What could we equate this to? <laughs> would, would this be would this be like skydiving or, or like how far out there is it if this is true? So if we do consider that, we do acknowledge that, okay, riding our motorcycles in foreign countries is certainly higher risk than staying home. How high of a risk is this? How much are we putting ourselves out there if we do this?
6: I think it's very, very, very relative. I mean, if you're in South Dakota, Versus New York City, which is more dangerous? And what's the ratio?
5: Uh, oh,
6: you know, it's a tough one. It's, yes, it's more dangerous. It's obvious. But how much? I don't know.
1: The only country in the world where I've been physically knocked off my motorcycle was the United States. <laughs>
0: yeah, you probably shouldn't travel there either. That's another one you want to avoid.
1: But to me, that's a foreign country. That's, that's the point that I'm trying to make. It's a foreign country. Yeah, mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: Okay, but, to but, but navigate but, but, roundabouts was was a was was difficult for me coming from Canada. When I went to the UK for the first time, um, there were virtually no roundabouts in Canada at all. And I went came up to my first roundabout and went, Oh, now what do I do? And I really didn't know. Mm-hmm.
4: And roundabouts when you're riding on not your natural side of the road yeah, are really tricky course. to work out <laughs> which way do you go and who do you give way to. Yeah. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: I would say, just for example, Jim, if if
3: riding in the U.S. in my own country, so not just South Dakota, but New York City, anywhere in my country is, let's say, rated, I don't know how you rate it, but whatever that danger level is, I would say riding in another country inherently for me is probably an extra 20% risk. Okay. I'm just ballparking. Yeah, no. That's... So that that's for accounting for language barrier, for reading signs, different road conditions, different traffic patterns, way other drivers handle themselves. Maybe an extra 20, 25 percent.
1: I don't know. I'll throw it, that. You know, it's, out. Interesting. it's interesting what you say, there, Michelle, because actually it is all of those things. But when you're traveling in another country, you've got a lot more distractions things that yeah. you're not able to just um, subconsciously take on board on autopilot. Yeah, I know how that works. Um, focus on the things that I need to focus on because you have got incoming distractions all the time, haven't you? It's not only the other tra- mm. um, other road users. Sorry, Brian, I talked so
2: think, think Think of it like this. If if you're driving a car
1: in your hometown, you're, you
2: know, your risk level is maybe two or three out of ten. If you're riding a motorcycle in your your home country, maybe – Five out of ten, and maybe six. If you're riding in a foreign country, I put it around eight or nine out of ten is your risk until you get used to the traffic. The longer you are there, the easier it becomes. You, you, you'll be able to read the, um, the traffic, uh, you understand the signs. For example, in the States, you come to a red light, you can turn right on a red light. In Australia, you try and do that and you're committing an offence, you know. So you you get to learn these things. and So your your risk level comes down a little, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be, um, as Grant said, have all your sensors and radar up every time you jump on a bike. So to me, that's how I rate it.
4: And you've got to remember that Brian has the added distraction of me on the back going, oh, did you see that? (laughs) Can we
5: stop
4: and take a photo of that? Oh, I want to make this a scenery and that I believe is also makes writing a little difficult.
2: Wow, well, there's an off button. It can be is distracting. <laughs> <Is> there's <laughs> there an off button
6: great. It? Yeah, well I've actually got Susan trained in those situations. There's no discussions like that unless it's it's stop here are at first opportunity and that's it no discussion about why we're stopping just stop <laughs> and that keeps it simple and is less distracting i do not want to hear a long discussion about what's really cool it's just no 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 i'm busy <laughs> oh
4: my gosh you're just riding the bike
2: yeah a i can't train her <laughs> <laughs>
6: Okay. so well, I think a lot of it depends on which continent you're going to as well. Um, I mean, a lot of people are going to be angry with me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, coming from North America, riding over North America for many, many years, going to UK was a big learning experience and was definitely difficult. And left-hand drive and roundabouts and all that was, wow. And then I went to Europe. Well, I should say, but in the UK, I found that drivers there we generally better, better mannered, more skillful, yes. Um, yes, yes. did things the way you're supposed to do. And once I got used to it, I felt that the UK was safer than North America on the whole. Then mm. I went to Europe and all of a sudden I'm back on the right-hand side. And, oh, cool. And it's even better. Then I went to Africa and <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a whole <laughs> different ball game. That is not safer. That is way more dangerous. So it, it depends a lot on where you're going, from where to where. You I know, mean, for a European coming to North America, the average driver here doesn't know how to drive, and they got their license out of a cracky jack box, and so on. So that's a different. That's a higher level of risk than going the other way, in my opinion. You're very brave, Grant. I know I am. I I know there's going to be people angry with me about <laughs> it, but that is my reading of after. I don't know. I've been riding for something like thirty odd years in North America, and then went to Europe, and that was very strongly my perception.
0: Mm. Well, that that aligns with what Michelle was saying as well, though. It really, Michelle's point was that it's because it's different that's what makes it that's what, what makes it a heightened danger for us.
2: Sure. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Yeah.
1: Now, fear is a real negative though isn't it and we're talking about the things that we should be concerned about and um, the, the greater level of risk and so on but it still keeps coming back to fear is a real negative and with the things that we're talking about fear can just get in the way and when you're under pressure in countries that you aren't your own um, you're dealing with different um, driving and riding styles and all of the rest of it fear can actually put you at risk because it causes confusion uh, Just the wrong time. In other words, um, within a few days of riding in a new country with using um, new riding styles and all of that sort of stuff. And Asia is perfect for this. Every time you cross a border in Asia, um, the the driving style changes. It's not only the foods and the clothes and the customs and all that sort of stuff, but the driving style in particular. And you've just got to be constantly learning and relearning, and you can go to different regions. There are parts of Colombia, for example. Um, and it's one of my favourite countries in South America. But you are down on the coast in Colombia, and the and the um, let's say oh gosh, what's big city beginning with B, north um, of Colombia, um, Bogota, Barranquilla. No. Yeah, Barranquilla.
3: Barranquilla.
1: Yeah. Yep, that's the one. the The driving style there is completely different to Bogota. So mm. when yeah. you're overlanding, you yeah. are just mm. full on paying attention all of the time. And I think that this is one of the reasons why um, overlanders doing things that get them tired is so dangerous because you're just going to make more mistakes when you're tired because you're not allowing your body to to get fully on in, in tune. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, so I'm just going to speak for myself. I would never um, be up late partying the, the, the night before. I had a um an, another day's full riding to do. I would never do it because if I do that, I'm hungover, I'm tired, and I'm making myself vulnerable. And that to me is just not common sense. It's, yeah, it's a risk.
6: Absolutely.
4: Yeah, we all say we never yeah, do it yeah. and we've all done but it,
1: it. But it's fun, same.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: But- <laughs> this is like the riding at night thing. <laughs>
1: If, if, yeah. I'm to, yeah, exactly. if, I'm, if I'm going to go and ride um, in, in a wide open country with good quality roads and hardly any traffic, yeah, okay, I might waver that. But if I'm going to be riding in a place where it's one large town after another, for example, then there is no way I'm going to do that. If I've got um, significant dirt roads in front of me, again, there's no way that I'm going to be partying um, late at night. It's just that that common sense thing. But like I said, that's just me. And we're all different, aren't we? And,
4: and what you were saying, Sam, about being fearful, um, I think there's always a sense of trepidation when you arrive in a new country. Once you've been through the stress of getting through the border, you, you know, you're wondering what the roads are going to be like, what the drivers are going to be like. And rather than being fearful, be cautious.
1: Yeah, be, be respectful. Respectful yeah. of the stuff that you don't know. Yeah. Respect is such a positive thing, isn't it? I mean, you ride into a situation thinking, okay, I don't know how these people are going to use their indicators to show whether they're going left or right, or uh, you can overtake me now, for example. Um, if, you, if you're if you respectful of, of how much you don't know, um, then you're just that much safer, aren't you, Shirley?
4: Yeah, I think so. And if I weren't to shut up and stopped interrupting Brian while he was riding, <laughs> we'd probably be even
5: safer. <laughs> <some> harsh
6: words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think it's important not to get pissed off when drivers do <laughs> something strange in front of you. Yep. You know, like That's when I first drove into as well, as well, yeah, but it's even more important on the road because they may have done something perfectly legitimate that every man and his dog does, but you don't know that. So just back off and... Let it happen. Let it go, and try and go with the flow. Join in, as opposed to try and be better than them, or whatever you want to call it. But because you're not, it's just different.
1: Well, we travel to learn, don't we? And and learning the rules of the roads and and the local customs and so on. That's all part of it. rolling into South Africa, for example. Um, Birgit and I were really surprised when fast-moving vehicles behind us were flashing their lights at us. What we didn't realize was that in South Africa, um, if somebody's coming up fast behind you, you don't um, stay where you are just pulling to one side of the road. You actually pull right over to the side of the road. So basically, the car coming up behind you can just plait in a straight line past you. it's, It's a new custom. You learn. Yep.
6: Yeah, it was very interesting to see that when you're riding on the bike and passing other trucks. The number of cars that pull right over to the very edge of the road I mean, virtually mm-hmm. into the dirt, it's just like they, that's what they do. And they right. expect you to go right on by.
1: It's wonderful. I've never, never been to another country that does that. Has anybody else? No. I've never seen
0: it anywhere. Well, I, I know there's lots of drivers that would like you to do that when they come up behind you and <laughs> flash their lights mm-hmm. because that's what they feel. Let me jump back here. Brian said that the, the riding was like sort of eight out of 10 as far as risk when you're in foreign countries. Michelle said 20%. Obviously it's an acceptable risk because so many people do it. So is there a way, like, I mean, how, how do we, how do we sum this up just so we can move on? Because this is, this is just one of the many things we want to talk about here. How do we sum this up? I mean, Why would you do it if it's heightened risk or is, you know, mitigating the risk through these different things that you guys have said enough to uh, deal with it's,
4: it? It's a-
2: well, calculated risk. As, as a motorcyclist, you're a risk taker anyway. You know, you love that feeling of, uh, you know, you're, you're a bit more vulnerable. And, you know, when I said eight, eight out of ten, it's it's from where you are at the time, at, say, in your home country. So what you've got to do is engage your brain before you get on the bike. Every time you just think, okay, I'm in a foreign country. There's different rules. I've got to be very cautious here. And this is the way I'm going to handle this risk. And to me, that's the most important thing. How hey, do you handle the
0: risk? So you recognize the risk is there. And by doing that and yeah. by dealing with that actively, proactively, then you are sort of reducing the risk, making it manageable. Yep. Then. Mm-hmm. yep. That and makes when you
2: sense. get uh, a little mm-hmm. laissez-faire with that attitude, that's when you're most vulnerable. Right.
6: And having said that, all of this, um, the number of accidents that people actually get into is so few. It's it's actually remarkable how few we hear about. Yep. Yes, it happens, That's but it's not common. Uh, I think people are when they're in a strange country, they are much more careful, and they're overloaded, and they're not going particularly fast. And the accidents that they get into are usually low speed accidents. It's not a big deal. Uh, I think if anything, you could argue that they actually get in less accidents than they would at home because at home, as Brian was saying right. earlier, they get sloppy.
1: And, and the other thing is there, when, you, when you're doing a, um, a big overlanding trip, um, you're riding most days. So your senses are just becoming that much more honed because you and your machine are becoming really very much at one. You're not having to think so hard about, you know, those sides of things. You're just automatically um, working. I'm not descri- explaining myself very well, but I hope you get what I mean. You, we
2: get that, Sam, but, you know, you've actually come off and hurt yourself um, uh, overseas. And I think, Michelle, you, you you hurt yourself too pretty badly coming off a bike. And what? why? You know,
1: what happened? Well, I mean for me the the one time that I came off other than you know big time hurt was because it was just absolutely unlucky. Um, and that, yeah. can come well, that to happens. Space, it's, it? it's it's it luck. Mm.
2: It that's is. right. And, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. That was my point. When, when yeah, and I come, these things happen?
1: They do. Um Sorry. I, you just started me thinking of something um from South America, Lima. Um now because of social media and there's so many stories about it and so on, pretty much everybody knows that um, there are parts of Lima where the, the driving is um, unruly. Um, yeah. <laughs> when Birgit yeah. and I were coming through, I had cars right up against me and pushing pushing me sort of almost sideways as we were riding. They were literally right up against my panniers um, and moving me across because I was not, I was in their way. And I was lucky to stay on a couple of times and I know other people who haven't been lucky and they have come off in that traffic and it's just been a complete zoo. So luck does play a large amount, doesn't it?
2: It does. I've had Shirley um, pushing cars away from us, literally pushing them away and being hooked up in tuk-tuks and all sorts of things. But, you know, it's all slow speed stuff, really.
4: I think yeah. um, there was a lot of luck in the, or bad luck, in the man who was asleep and fell into the sinkhole.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
4: So, yes. you know, you, you always run that risk that, that you're, you know, your number's going to be up one day and it might be up around the corner from your house or it might be up in the middle of a peak hour in Lima.
0: <laughs> to be fair, though, you, you have to do your due diligence. And that guy probably just went to bed without even taking a walk around the house. <laughs> Checking out the thing, <laughs> yep. You know, and that's oh, what yeah, happens.
4: the basement floor.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on to another one. Another, another top fear. Who's got another top fear? One of, one of the ones you've heard a lot of. You hear people talk about.
3: Oh, being robbed. I think one I of the did. ones that I had was about getting hurt.
0: Mm, so we got robbed and being hurt. Okay. Let's um. Well, let's look at rob first. So, uh, the the fear of being robbed—how real do you guys think that is for traveling? Like, like face it. Let well, me just say before we, before you speak. Let me just say though, as a traveler, could you not see yourself as an easy mark? I mean, for someone who has something in their mind, you know, they want to rip someone off. Does a does a traveler not sort of come in with a target on them as a an easy
1: mark? What do you think about that?
4: Sure, because they would know that we are traveling with everything we
1: own. With us. I don't think that overlanders are as vulnerable to theft as somebody who's climbing off a cruise liner with their Nikon camera and their Hawaiian shirts and their shorts and their Rolex watch on their wrist and not paying attention to where they are and not having learned anything about the place really before they get there. And yeah, no
6: situational awareness at all. And I think
3: we talk about a lot of the tools on this trip to try and keep us all safer.
5: Yeah. Yeah,
4: that's true. But on your first trip, I I really think we on before we set off on our first trip, we all would have thought about how do we protect our passport and all these things. And as Brian said, you know, your second set of documents, because we all have a fear. In the early days, that we were vulnerable because of where we were, and and the places we were going. Yet in reality, if you get robbed in a hostel or someone like that, it'll be another traveller who's robbed you, not some not a, a um not a, a local. Mm. And in all of our trips, we've been robbed once, and that was in Broken Hill in New South Wales, Australia, in a cabin in the caravan park. And we've camped, and we've stayed in hostels, and we've stayed in really smart hotels, and through I don't know how many countries, whatever. We won't go through that again. But we were robbed in our home country.
0: Mm, That's another country you shouldn't go to, Australia.
4: I know. Mm -hmm. Don't (laughs) go to Broken Hill.
0: Yep, definitely. No, all of Australia. It's it's pretty sounds dangerous to me. (laughs) (laughs) People
1: told me when I set (laughs) off. People told me when I set off. Look, if you can make it across um, Europe without your bike being stolen, um, then you'll make it around the rest of the world.
6: I think a lot of thieves go where the marks are and the marks are going to be at the bus station, the airport areas, uh, any place where the, the most travelers come in. As motorcycle travelers, we're not in through the, the main ports of entry to any place, so we're less risky, but if you go down to the bar, and party and drink and one o'clock in the morning and wander around half drunk, yeah, you're a mark. But guess what? In your hometown, exactly the same thing. If I mm-hmm. go down to Vancouver downtown east side, one o'clock in the morning on Saturday night, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm at risk, and I know that. I don't even go there. It's just you no, know, that's too high a risk for me. Thank you. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. So yep. it, a lot of it depends on what you do and where you go and when you go. And
1: it's not different in any city if 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 we all i mean uh, common sense um I actually believe in common sense, and I think all of us have got it. It's just up to us to um actually hone it um and we've got it in different degrees, but common sense says you think about those things and you think about, okay, well, when could I be vulnerable and I think Shirley's absolutely right. Um, we are more vulnerable when we're out on the road because we are strangers in a strange land. Um, but because we're strangers in a strange land and we've got common sense, then we know it. So we take appropriate precautions such as money belts and sharing the, the whatever money we've got around in different places, et cetera, et cetera. So the point is that if we do get ripped off, then we're less likely to get ripped off for very much. And I think the fear of being victim of robbery or theft or some other sort of scam um, is actually incredibly detracting. And it means that we end up missing opportunities because most people are absolutely brilliant. Most people want you to have a good time. The chances of you being ripped off are far less than you've been given an opportunity to do something by a stranger. And sometimes what seems like a scam actually may not be. It's just the foreign way of doing things. Um, And that's where it's up to us to watch what other people are doing, like bargaining. Um, And the first price not being the reality. And in the end, how much can we really get ripped off for? If you do get ripped off, it's probably only going to be for a small amount. So, why not just chalk it up to experience and collect a tale to tell? Adventures sometimes involve involve falling off, don't they?
2: Yeah,
1: well seen.
4: But I don't think being ripped off in a marketplace should be a concern. As you say, Sam, I mean, if you do pay tourist prices in some of these markets, getting something for such good value in comparison to what you'd pay in your home country. Mm. But I think it's people, you know, knocking off stuff off your bike, um, you know, taking stuff out of your your pockets. And no matter how little or how much we've got when we travel, when we travel into a lot of countries, we are perceived to be incredibly wealthy. And in comparison to the locals, we are just purely because of the amount of money we have tied up in motorcycle, motorcycle gear, luggage. You know, we may have two bob to rub, rub together in the bank, but in comparison to others, we are perceived to be wealthy. Mm, and yeah. that does make you vulnerable in uh, some mm-hmm.
2: areas. Just, just relating a little story, when we were traveling, you know, I'd take everything off the bike, um, but I had two soft bags that hung over the tank in those soft bags were um, some waterproofs and things that, you know, didn't really matter if, if they got nicked. I didn't take them off or out of those uh, unlocked bags on the bike. And you know what? Over 18 months traveling one, 12 months traveling another, six months traveling another trip, that that was never, ever taken. Mm-hmm. So Open. Opened. Opened. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No worries. But... No, everything was, everything was, uh, as it was when we went back to the bike, wasn't it? Sure. Yeah.
0: Yep. So Michelle, let me ask you this before you left on your, on your first big trip, how high was your apprehension rate of fear of being ripped off and how high do you think it should be now that you're experienced? So like if you did a one to 10 scale or something.
5: Well,
3: I would say my apprehension level in 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 particular as as an american and, and my apologies to anyone who feels differently, but my perception as an American was that Mexico in particular, was a dangerous country and after having traveled to seventy plus countries, many of which not on a motorcycle, I really have realized and come to terms with a lot of countries and people in general have a tendency to think the worst about their neighbors, their closest neighbors. So it seems like I was always warned about the next country we were going into. Um, And I think Americans are, are leery of Mexico in particular. So I was, I was afraid of it. And in fact, chose a KLR for a number of reasons, but one of which was that I could walk away from it because of the investment being less than if I bought, you know, a nicer, bigger bike. So I actually made choices about the equipment that I took, the laptop, the camera that I took, the motorcycle that I took, because I was concerned that if I had to actually abandon it or if I were robbed, I could survive that financially and be able to walk away from all of it. In hindsight, um, I don't think that those fears were really all that justified. I, in, in two years on the road, I never had anything stolen from my bike and I didn't leave much to chance, don't get me wrong. Um, I didn't want to tempt fate if I didn't lock up my helmet, it was more of a risk for me. Not that I really thought anybody was going to take it, but if they did, I was going to be high and dry trying to find a replacement helmet. So I just didn't chance it. Um, but I never had anything missing. And I, I would say if my, my fear scale was probably a 10 before I left. And now I'm on alert status. I pay attention. I try to be, you know, protective of my stuff, be mindful, watch where I'm at, uh, and adapt accordingly. And i I would say I act pretty conservatively um, as all of you have all talked about. And I would say my fear level is probably more like three or four now.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That sounds right to me. I mean, we had, we went into Libya in 1997 and everybody remembers you know, Gaddafi and that, that's where they trained all the terrorists and the camp in the desert and all sorts of things. And, Susan's fear level when we went in there was through the roof. She was just absolutely terrified. And she said, this is where we die. This is where we die. I'm sure this is where they die. They're going <laughs> to take us out in the desert and they're going to kill us uh, or use us as target practice or something. But this is where we're going to die. And at the end of it, absolutely nothing happened. People were absolutely wonderful. We couldn't believe how friendly they were. Um we were walking along one place in Tripoli, and this car came, just as we were going by a roundabout, a car came by and at us, and then they went around the roundabout, and Sue said, oh, this is where they're going to start shooting at us. And people were hanging out of the windows of the car, waiting at us, and yelling, welcome to Tripoli, welcome to Libya.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: Absolutely fantastic. So, our fear just disappeared. Yep. Um, at, at another point, we were riding along, we were going to go to Letus Magna, and our guide was leading us. and. He turned left into the desert. And I mean, literally just turned left into the desert in the middle of nowhere. There's no signs. There was nothing. And Susan said, oh, this is where we die. This is it. We're done. We went over the crest of the hill and there was a little guard shack and there was one other car. And we stopped and he said, what's, what's the leftist magnets just over the hill? Oh, okay. And it was fantastic. It was just great. So your fear of the unknown is the real problem it's a statistical thing you can look it up your fear of the unknown versus your fear of local is double or triple or something Mm -hmm. it's a huge difference people are comfortable in their own city but i remember we had an event and a guy was doing some talks about mexico and how wonderful mexico was and this was in the u.s and he said that where do you think is more dangerous Atlanta, we were near Atlanta at the time, or Mexico City. And everybody said, oh, Mexico City, dangerous, you're going to die there. Well, in in one year, the murder rate was double in Atlanta what it was in Mexico City. Double. And that everybody felt more comfortable in Atlanta than they ever thought they would possibly be in Mexico City. Fear of the unknown is always going to be considerably higher than fear of what you know.
0: So keep that in mind. It's interesting that the two things we've talked about so far, travel is dangerous and and being robbed, they're both kind of true to some degree, but it's all about how you handle that information or how you approach it. So in both instances, that's what everyone said. You know, the thing is, yeah, there's you're a, you're at heightened risk for instance, but you know, possibly for being robbed because you're a foreigner, but handling that risk is very important and once you do that, again, we've got something that is manageable for us. Uh, okay. So let, let's move on. Because I, I want to try and get through some of these. Uh, the one, the, the next one along here was Michelle had, had said, getting hurt, fear of getting hurt. Michelle, you want to take that?
3: Yeah. I think before I took my trip, one of my biggest fears was getting injured. So am actually having an accident on the bike in a remote location. And I remember thinking before I left home, what's the worst that can happen? Okay. My bike gets stolen. Fine. And I lose my laptop. Fine. I've got digital backups. I can handle all of that. The worst thing I could even think of was having a wreck in the middle of nowhere and breaking a leg or hurting myself so that I couldn't continue writing. Mm -hmm. And of course, I actually had that happen. And it turned out, I'm not, I I don't want to upsell it or anything. It turned out though to be a, a really, it turned out to be fine. I mean, medically, I had to have surgery. I had to be um, flown out for surgery. I had a lot of logistics to manage with the bike and all of that and thankfully had a great partner at the time. Um, lots of friends who stepped up to the plate and it turned out to be fine. So I don't want to take away from the fact that other people have had much worse accidents and I, I know that it can be such a traumatic thing. But there, there are medical services and If you do what you can to keep yourself safe, um, getting sick or having small things happen in other countries can be manageable. I think it's important to to ride safely, wear your protective gear. That's super important. You know, be aware of the situation, the wind, road conditions, be prepared, do proper training, all of that and take care of yourself and stay healthy. But having said that, I have probably doctored more in other countries than most people I know. (laughs) I've I've been to a doctor in Mexico for spider bites. I've had uh, stomach problems in. Ecuador. I had a sinus infection in Borneo. I've had altitude sickness in Peru. Um, I don't even remember what happened in France. I, I mean, I've doctored in probably 10 different countries and even with language <laughs> barriers and all, I'm not proud of that, believe me, but <laughs> just just as a matter of trying to put other people's mind at ease, it happens. And I, I remember going in France and literally back in the day, this was 20 years ago, having a, one of those old paper dictionaries a French to English, English to French dictionary. and went back and forth and pointed at words until I could describe my symptoms and finally it came out of there was some antibiotics or whatever I needed. Then you just, you figure it out and it's part of the experience, but it shouldn't, at least in my experience, have kept me home from, you know, going out and seeing the world and doing those things. There are
4: medical services in other places and you, you'll find a way.
1: Well said, Michelle.
4: You, you also don't encourage getting sick as a way of meeting the locals.
0: <laughs> Not, yes. <laughs> Good point. well it's interesting that getting hurt fears is obviously legitimate because we already said that it's it's risky to um to ride your motorcycle in a foreign country so yeah maybe there's slightly increased risk i mean we shouldn't get so freaked out about it that it stops you from doing something because um there's many things like you can do at home that would give you i think similar types of increased risk yeah
6: I ride off road in the back country of British Columbia, and there might be nobody along all day on that road. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I'm riding considerably quicker there than I would in South America, for instance. So, my risk is it higher here doing that, or South America? Hmm. Not so sure.
1: Yeah, no. tricky one. That's a good point. Okay, you know, Dan Bias. Um, Dan Bias tells a, a really good story in the Moment collectors Listeners who've read The Moment Collectors know exactly what I'm referring to. But Dan got really sick in a couple of places in South America. Um, And yeah, his story turned out to be reasonably traumatic. But um, the events in South America, um, he came out of them smiling and full of, wow, I never thought about that moment. He's, yeah, really positive um, with with those situations. Things can happen. And Michelle, you're making me smile just listening the normal everyday things that can happen to you that when you're out on the road, you have to deal with. Um, and yeah, and I loved your bit about the, the, the dictionary. Now most people have got um, a translator app on their telephone. So there's this far less yeah. concern about those sorts of things now. I think one of the things is that it, knowing that you're heading out and you're going to be a long way away from home and so on is making sure that you've done the best you can um, to to cover the bases and also that you know that somebody at home knows where you are more or less and what you're planning to do next and so on. So if somebody does have to send out a search party to to find you, then they'll know that you'll be in... um, the the Cordillera Blanca in Peru or or wherever, um, and it just narrows it down. Um, I think one of the things that we all need to remember is the locals want to help us everywhere we go. um, The greater percentage of local people by far want to make sure that you have a safe and enjoyable and interesting time in their country.
0: Absolutely. So far, we haven't got very far on the list here. I've got I've got a whole bunch of <laughs> You've things. Got a list? Uh, well, yeah, I have I have a, a mental list. I've got a couple of notes I've jotted down here. But um, how about another one? Does anyone have another one? Fear of you making mistakes.
5: Mistake. Oh yeah,
0: that's a good one. Fear of making mistakes.
1: Mm, kind of mistakes. Mm. Anything.
0: Crikey, End
4: I'd never mistakes.
1: get out of bed if I thought about that. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, that's exactly my point. People um, fear making mistakes. I've had conversations with people, that, what if I get it wrong at the border? Um, what if I say the wrong thing to somebody? Um, what if I spend too much money on something in a market? And so these fear of making mistakes, they pop up in people's minds all of the time, I think, from what, from what I hear. Um, but the reality is that, well, you will make mistakes. Of course you will. It's part of the learning curve of being on the road. And if you get things wrong, well, no worries. The chances of you getting things wrong in a very big fashion, um, actually, they're quite small. Um, Enjoy making mistakes. Again, it's a nice story to to tell when you come back again.
0: Okay. How about... Um...
5: <laughs> that went down well.
0: <laughs> <It did>. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave the next
3: he one. summed it up perfectly.
0: <laughs> yeah,
6: what's what's there to say after that? Part of the fun of conversation with people and making mistakes in your translation or your, your poor whatever language is that it, it makes for a laugh and you learn, you get yeah. better. Yeah.
4: And when you hear some of the terrible things that happen with those electronic um, translator apps, I think Michelle probably had a better diagnosis of her symptoms using the dictionary. <laughs>
2: yeah. Just saying. What about, what about scams? What about scams, Jim? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. In, in these days, I think, you know, everybody uses a, a credit card or a card to get money, and the like, currency and stuff like that. That um, is a real fear, I think, now in this current day
0: hmm Of your ID, your information, your, your, not to mention your credit yeah. card, your debit card, all of that. How real is that? How, how scary is it out there for us? I, I mean, I think it's very high risk really, isn't it? And that's not just even with travel, but at home, it's high risk, you know, losing your identity or, or having something, uh, some sort of, uh, I guess, a technical thing stolen from you, your, your bank card, et cetera. But it certainly has, has to be heightened in some locations.
4: What well, yeah. if it's a bigger risk at home, where you're paying, you know, utility bills and things using um, electronic banking, where people set up a site that looks like your bank and it's not, and direct you to a a fake site. Those sorts of things hopefully wouldn't happen when you were travelling because you wouldn't be doing that kind of um, financial transaction mm-hmm. electronically. Um, Grant the old skimming of the credit card. Yeah. Does that still happen? I mean, that's that is a risk when you're traveling. When you pay with something at a hotel, machine. Yeah, Yeah, and the machine's been tampered with.
6: Again, that's there's a couple of things. I'll answer that. The skimmers are still out there, but the banks are working very hard to uh, catch and stop those things. But still, when you're putting your credit card into a machine, does it look? pristine does it look original or has it got this little thing stuck on the outside of it you know pay attention as always um but the thing about um bank issues and going to fake websites never ever ever click on a link from something that's purporting to be your bank even if it is your bank don't click on those links just go to your browser and type in the address that you know is correct that's that's basic and everybody should be paying attention to that. Um, I get scams all the time. I mean, the amount of spam I get, it's, it, it's frightening. I mean, we're, in, we're in the 500 a day spam level and yeah. it's, it's full of scams and spams and all kinds of stuff. Um, you just have to pay attention. There's a ton of stuff on the web about how to look after yourself and how to be safe and, um, two factor aden- authentication. There's a lot of things you can do. But it's not any different when you're traveling as opposed to being at home. I don't think they, the risk electronically when you're traveling is really any different than being at home.
0: It'd be more inconvenience though, wouldn't it? Because you, you, you're depending on this stuff while you're traveling. If something happens to it, it can be an inconvenience at the, at the least.
6: Yes, it's an inconvenience. But you have a backup, don't you? you exactly. Need at least two, yeah. two or three credit cards minimum.
4: Yeah, no, you're right. Because if you once you've lost one, you're stuffed until you can get it replaced. And I don't know what it's like now, but banks don't like sending it to you know a hotel in Upper Gum West,
5: no, which will be where you'll be that. staying
4: in ten days. And yep. We ended up having a very pleasant experience at the Australian Embassy in um, Kathmandu because I had to get a credit card sent there that I'd managed to leave in a hotel very carelessly in India. And to replace it, they wouldn't send it to where we had our next, you know, we had a week's accommodation booked at a beach. They wouldn't send it there. They'd no. send it to the Australian embassy, and luckily they accepted it for us
6: when we yeah. went and collected mm. it. Yeah, I lost a credit card and a bank machine in Switzerland. Put my credit card in, typed in my password or my, you know, PIN. Oh, darn, wrong one. It's for something else. Put it in again. Didn't like it for some reason. Try it again. Nope. It ate it. And that was Friday <laughs> oh, night oh, yeah. in Switzerland. Oh, three bad. times, that's, you, that's the limit. Oh. You, you,
0: your third one, if it's not right, it's taking the card, debit card, You're whatever. Yeah. yeah.
6: But I had two more credit cards and Susan had three. Not a problem. It was no big deal. It was annoying. Yeah. But mm. what are you going to do? Yeah.
1: I think you you just suddenly feel impotent, don't you? You feel yeah. stupid. The, the, the control has been taken away from you.
6: Yep.
4: Well, when you've left it at a hotel in India and then go Mm. to another beach for 10 days and don't realize you've left it there until you go to pay that hotel bill, Mm. then you feel stupid.
5: Or you
0: panic because
2: it's being used. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: panic. (laughs) Or if you think that your card's in the machine still and you actually call somebody out, imagine that. That would be horrible.
4: Imagine if that happened. That would be horrible. And I was really hoping no one remembered that. Thank you, Jim. Are
0: you kidding? I'll never forget that story. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
6: it used to be that bank machines would, um, they give you your money and then your credit card. But now they give you your card back and then they give you the money. Most of them, not all of them. Mm -hmm. So watch for that. Credit card first, then the money.
0: Any other? Um, does anyone have any anything on their list? Top fears of motorcycle travel that you've heard people talk about, or you hear see circulating? Um, I need to know where I'm going to be staying every night for the next three months,
6: preferably with reservations. Where am isn't I going to sleep?
1: Isn't that normal?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so would that be fear of of of, of um nowhere to sleep? Knowing where to sleep? Yeah, yeah, fear of where you're of knowing where you're going to end up each day. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
4: and that's until you – go. oh, God, I, I did it, um, and it used to drive Brian crazy, but eventually I became more relaxed and, and wasn't quite so stressed about where we were going to sleep that night. Hence, we've stayed in some really shitty places. But there, uh, yeah, right. um, <laughs> it happens, but there's some place to <laughs> it sleep. It does happen. Exactly, exactly. But I, I think that's a, that's an inexperience on the road.
6: Yeah, and not paying necessarily paying attention to what's going on around you. The one time that we had no place to stay, we were in Valencia and it happened to be a major half of Spain-wide uh, party. Uh, they have some, some celebration, something or other going on. And no, Valencia was booked out. So we had to ride for yeah. another two hours to a small town. But that was the worst we've ever seen in all of our travels. Having said that, I know that if you want to go into a campground in parts of British Columbia and parts of the U.S. in the middle of summer, if you don't have a reservation, forget it. There's nothing. It's yeah. booked.
4: Well, it's the same in Australia. If and you, that, yeah. and that's getting worse. Yeah. 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 You, you go up the coast during summer and think we'll just pop into this caravan park or we'll find a room in a pub. No, you won't. Yep. Not in the middle of school holidays in summer. So That's just preparation, when, isn't it, really? Yeah, it, it, it's understanding the local situation. Sometimes that can be fun if you don't get a room there and you get a room in the next town going back to whatever that event was, which could be a really great experience that you hadn't bargained on. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. But in any case, surely you said that when you, you started out, you had that fear and you got over it. It's not a valid fear, really, is it? I mean, what you, I guess what, what no. the takeaway is, is that what you've learned, is that it'll work out.
4: Yeah, it will work out.
0: Yeah, you'll find some place. I mean, mm-hmm.
6: what's the worst, worst, worst that could happen? No place to stay tonight, you're going to stay awake all night. Well, that's that's the worst, but mm-hmm. yep. you're not going to die.
1: Yep, that's it. That's exactly right. If you're traveling as a you know as a pair, then one of you sort of keeps awake and for two or three hours while the other one has a kip on sprawled across the saddle or tucked down by the side of the bike, and then you just swap over. Done that before. It's. Yep.
6: Just go find the yeah. nearest police station and ask him if you can sleep out back.
1: Yeah, I've done that with um, fire stations as well.
6: Yeah, fire stations too. They're both generally very good that way.
1: Stopped um, somebody in um, one of the towns in the States. God, I can't remember where it was now. Um, and um, just said, um, Is there a school teacher that lives here? And they um, said, Yeah, sure, um, I'll take you. So introduced me to the school teacher. And I said, um, Is there any chance that I could put my tent up on, overnight on your sports field? Yeah, sure, no problem at all. I'll bring you a coffee, and so I put my tent up. And a quarter of an hour later, there she was with a coffee for me. Yeah, people are great.
4: Did you say I would rather a whiskey? <laughs>
1: I'm sure, he had his own with them. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, probably.
1: No, I, I didn't drink in those days.
0: <laughs> well, maybe we, maybe we can just go through a, a couple more here fairly quickly while while we're getting to, closer to the end here. What about not being able to speak the language? I think that's a, that's a common one.
2: Less and less nowadays, I think, because of um, translation services and all that sort of stuff that you can get. Mm-hmm. And
4: and you can practice and practice and practice um, uh, the language of the country you're going to and the first 25 people you meet in that country will speak English better than you do and they just feel so pleased that they can speak to you in your language. <laughs> language yep, it's English it. is the international language now and – it's very rare you would go to a place and not find someone who spoke a bit of English.
2: You might find it a bit hard, States. surely, you know, Scotland and places like that where <laughs> <with laughs> the kind of the they can't
6: understand. They are speaking English,
4: but...
6: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, they're speaking Scottish. <laughs> Maybe.
3: Yeah, I would say on this trip, I've noticed a lot of travellers. I met a traveller from New Mexico, uh, one from the UK, the... Uh, young ladies that were traveling from Wisconsin, people from all over. And I really can see the difference since I was here eight years ago, traveling long distance for the long haul to Ushuaia myself. They're all much less concerned about language barriers because they have uh, translation apps that can actually just listen to someone saying something and then type. So they don't have to type things in anymore. It, it's got like a dictation component all in right. in the translator so they can speak into it and then turn their screen around and show somebody what they're trying to say. The other person can speak into the microphone and the app will translate back. And then there are actually apps that have lenses that read menus for you, read signs for you, just hold them up and take a picture and it translates. So I would say that that level of fear is starting to go away because people are so much more comfortable using those apps and tools. So mm, yeah, that's that's, it's interesting how much it's changed
4: in just a few years. Yeah. The menu rating app, does take the joy of eating something that you have no idea what it is, <laughs> uh, what it, how it's been prepared, but you're just going to have to have a slash at it and see, and hopefully you don't die. But I will say it brings you a different
3: kind of joy to read the way it translates. Because the perfect example is today Today at lunch, we went and had, I, I want to say it's called chupe. Uh, they, um, Uh, crab or whatever or or, uh, langoustine so in Chupé, turns out to be the word suck so you can order suck the crab or suck the lobster and it's just a a bizarre laugh fest so you you, you get a a different kind of joy rather than mystery you get some
4: giggles in how it translates it was pretty funny (laughs) what came onto your plate was it like a but I, I I can't imagine what a sucking lobster is. <laughs> so chupe, it
3: was actually chupe de haiba is a kind a special kind of crab. Um, I didn't order it. A, a Gal, I'm traveling with from Minnesota, um, ordered it, and, and it is like uh, a, a loosely formed crab cake. So it's crab with some breadcrumbs, maybe some eggs, some cheese like Parmesan, and it's baked in a casserole dish. And it was divine. I had it uh, about a week ago at a different place and she's had it a couple of times. And she, she's really excellent at, at um, finding good cuisine. But yeah, it was heavenly, but it didn't have a very good name in the translation out. No. So we giggled.
5: No.
4: Yeah. That, that's one that you think, <laughs> I'm not going to try that. Like on right. a plate in Mongolia. You know, that could have been one of the great delicacies of our lifetime, but we'll never know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now, with the app, you can easily find it if that 's what
3: you 're looking for
1: <laughs> just one of the things that I think that you know when we 're talking about the apps and um so on it 's important to remember the basics though because you know maybe you you run out of of power for your phone or the app stops working or whatever and you know the old fashioned basics they still are relevant and still well worth remembering, and you know if something goes wrong for you and you need to to, to be able to communicate it's things like knowing the contact details for your embassy. Where are they? What's their email address? What's their telephone number? Because if the worst comes to the worst and you're in trouble for some reason, then you can give a phone or get a local to phone the embassy and the embassy is always going to have somebody who speaks the local language. Um, And And it's just got to be so worth still doing that. But it's also things like, um, you know, if you get stuck and um, you you really need to have a proper conversation, local pharmacists, they frequently speak English, Um, school teachers, they frequently speak um, some English, those sorts of things. So, you know, if you're in trouble, then ask whoever's trying to help you um, to get in touch with with somebody like that.
4: Someone on the front desk at a three-star hotel.
1: Yeah, oh, that's a good one. Yes. Three star plus hotels. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. really good. Yeah, but when, when Birgit and I were travelling, and we wanted to to find particular things, we would sometimes go into a five star hotel and say, "Can you write down for us how to say this?" And that piece yeah. of paper was what we would then show to somebody when we were trying to find whatever it was—you know, a hardware shop or whatever else it might be. No, sure. And they
4: will always have the the best map yep. of yeah. the town. Yeah, and they'll be able to show you. You're here and this is where you want to go,
1: and you're yep, then yeah, equipped with, with a really times. good map. Top tip.
0: Does anyone have a fear of flying? No. no. It's a common one, though, isn't it? But, but the reason I brought this up is because I, I was really surprised to see that according to a, a European Transport Safety Council, plane crashes technically have a 90% survival rate. That's bizarre, isn't it? Seriously? Yeah. Wow. 90% survival rate. Depends what a
2: class is. A crash. Yeah. Very much depends. Yeah. If it's, if it's a collapsed wheel or, you know, landing with um, the heavy wheels. Heavy landing. Yeah, yeah. Heavy landing. You know, is that a crash?
0: All right. So now we're going to have to define a plane crash to get through this conversation? <laughs> oh, no, no Jeez.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think my biggest concern about this conversation is, good grief, does this mean Hollywood's been lying to us all these years? <laughs> nah, can't imagine. It's, I can't imagine. it's all true. It's
6: all true.
4: Because in this day and age, the biggest fear of flying is whether your case will arrive with, with you at your <laughs> destination. Yeah, that's true. That's
5: <laughs> and in true. Australia
4: at the moment, whether the plane will even take off because we have had so many cancellations. So it is just one of <laughs> the joys of. Airlines don't have staff anymore because of COVID. Or if you put enough money to
2: fly nowadays, yeah, it
0: costs that much.
4: Yeah, that's the fear of flying
0: yeah. now. <laughs> How about solo travel is scary and dangerous? I mean, a lot of people worry about solo travel. Oh.
1: Well, you know, I was thinking about what Michelle said um, earlier on about having an accident. I set off to ride down through Africa on my own. And one of my few fears. Um, was falling off the bike in the middle of nowhere, having my legs stuck underneath it and underneath the bike and not being able to get out. And that did concern me quite a lot because, you know, I knew that I was going to be going some well off the beaten track. So, but that was the only side of, of solo travel that, that worried me.
4: I just thought <laughs> that's no, kind of a... Silly.
0: That's a detailed fear you've got. I mean, you, you've got this yeah. fear of falling off your motorcycle, having your foot caught and being pinned in a remote spot where there's no one else, where you're wearing your green shirt with your blue hat. I mean, that sounds like a pretty exact <laughs> fear.
3: With his left foot yeah, specifically. This, exactly. yeah.
1: <laughs> hang, on, hang on a second. I have never, ever worn a green shirt you've never worked. well you haven't
0: lived you need to No you that. haven't lived that's true <laughs> you, you really need to try these things Sam So solo travel i mean i don't know is it riskier than than traveling with two people uh, Yeah
3: I, I think it can be and i think it can be more work especially with border crossings in particular i think that's an area where i feel vulnerable if I, you know, have to maintain eyesight of my bike, if I can't do that, how I lock things up, um, you know, just it, it's nice to have people traveling in twos or if anything happens for that matter, not just at the border crossing, but if you have bike trouble, you've got a second person with a motorcycle to go get extra fuel or get parts or get help or anything like that. So traveling solo certainly presents that. But I think it's counterbalanced too by the fact that when you're traveling solo, it is amazing how many people come up to talk to you and how many doors open and how many people are watching out for you. And as a woman in particular, there are ways and places that I feel vulnerable, um, but traveling in Central or South America, I have felt actually almost overcompensated by the fact that when people see me traveling alone as a female, they seem to really take an interest in coming over to say, are you okay? Do you need directions? Do you know where you're going? Do you need any help? So it can can go both ways, so to speak. Um, it, It presents more risk, but also presents opportunities for people maybe watching out a little bit more than normal if they saw you traveling with someone else.
1: I think it happens a lot to solo male travelers as well. I've done lots of trips on my own. And people, they don't see you as being a self-contained unit when you as, as they do when you're with somebody else. When you're traveling on your own, you're just that much more approachable. It doesn't make you more vulnerable in my experience at all. It just makes you more open um, to opportunities. And because most people are great, um, those opportunities are absolutely fantastic. I think that traveling solo is um, a wonderful thing to do. It just, there are different um, challenges, as Michelle just said. Sometimes it feels like more work, um, but there are different opportunities. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do, and traveling solo should, the risk of traveling solo in inverted commas should never put anybody off. Go, do it. If you can't find somebody to go traveling with, go and travel on your own. You'll make friends as you go. And you've got no one
4: yeah. to argue with.
0: That's a
1: good point.
0: <laughs> and just another quick one here: is it is it easier to travel, especially on a budget, but but to travel when you're young, as opposed to when you're old? Oh,
4: everything is easier when you're young. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> a really good answer, Shirley.
0: That's good. Yeah, <laughs> that is true.
6: Hard to argue with that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just sure, the, you know the, the
4: physics be Absolutely. Yeah. The physical exertion of riding the bike, the dealing with stressful situations, you know, sleeping on a a, mat- a you know, an air mattress in a tent on a cold piece of dirt. That's you easier when you're thirty than when you're sixty. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But right. I rest my case. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Those young folk don't need a mattress. <laughs> That's
6: right. <laughs> well, so far we I used be- to think a quarter inch of insulite was wonderful. And then I got older and it wasn't. No. <laughs> no, I can't even imagine it.
4: <laughs> or Ken and Carol sleeping with three-quarter length um, <laughs> thermo-rest beds the rather than full-length ones to save on packing space so their feet were always just on the ground at the end of their mattress.
1: No, mm-hmm. Sorry. Sure, yep, sure. There's, do that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. I do that. We, we do that. But listen, that, that, I mean, it's just a home for our bike jackets. So where we have the three-quarter, you know, the quarter missing, that's where our bike jackets go. So I think, go nice.
0: I guess it's easier to store your shortened toothbrushes with that as well.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Can we not go there, please? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, so just to wrap this up quickly,
0: does anyone else have another one that they, they wanted to, to, to add into here? I, I got one that's, that's just really, really fast, I think. Is sure. it cheaper to ship your motorcycle? Or to fly your motorcycle? Because a lot of people think it's cheaper to ship it than fly it.
6: Right now, I wouldn't want to answer that. That's a very, very, very difficult one. <laughs> shipping prices for everything, whether air or sea, currently are completely outrageous. Um, this is an example. Before the pandemic, shipping your bike from Canada to Europe ran around twelve dollars to $1,400. One way. Not bad. At the height of the pandemic, it was eleven thousand wow. yeah. dollars. Yeah. Currently, it's in the two thousand and something price. I've heard numbers lower. I've heard numbers higher. It's varying by probably five hundred dollars on either side of two. By uh, sea is still outrageous. Anything that comes in by uh, container is still ridiculously high priced. Whatever the price is today, if you can get a good price, go for it. But it's going to be more than it used to be. So,
4: and then you've got to look at okay. So we send it by sea because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. But then, we if, if it's late, you're going to have accommodation where you're waiting for your bike to arrive that you wouldn't have had if you'd flown it and you got it arrived at the your destination the same day as you. So that's a time saving. It can be a cost saving. Uh, whenever our bike's gone by sea. And even on one occasion by air, the delays that they couldn't explain mm. were very oh, yeah. costly. While we waited, yep. it, waited it out for it to arrive. So yeah. it's a juggling thing.
6: Yeah, I would say that as a as a general rule, fly without a doubt. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I know people who I know somebody who was going from UK and experienced traveler, done it around the world, was going to UK to Colombia for three months. I think it was. And got to Columbia and said, well, where's my bike? I don't know. We don't know anything about it. Called back to the UK. And, oh, we haven't found a ship for it yet.
5: Oh. Yeah.
6: Yeah, So there's your trip blown. Susan and I shipped our bike from Canada to New Zealand. Got to New Zealand, all set with sea freight. Got to New Zealand, went down to the docks. And there's pickets all over the place. They were on strike. Three weeks before we got the bike out. Was that expensive staying in Auckland? Oh,
4: yes. And and us. the other issue now with, um, with sea freight is these um, I don't know what are uh, they the bugs the that bugs, come in yeah. from China. We've got um, in Australia at the moment, Bring there's a cars. big problem with thousands of cars waiting to be unloaded because everything's got to be fumigated because of some bug that's come in. <laughs> mm that's been found in one container. So every container has to be opened and sprayed and that is not at the government's expense, just saying. And the time delay is, well, too bad. You can't get yep. anything off that ship until every container has being sprayed.
1: Yeah, and uh, right I, I, Yeah, and I've heard stories about that's, ha- that's happened with um, you know Overlander's motorcycles. They've been in the, in the container that's ha- ended up being stuck in quarantine for something that wasn't to do with them. But no, yeah, that's right it's yeah. sharing a container so um, yeah. six we- six weeks that was coming into Australia too okay. um but going back to what you were saying Shirley when you when you come in by air um, a day maybe two to get your bike out but in many countries around the world it can take you six weeks for example but at these weeks, to get your bike out of out of the port and all of the paperwork done. And it's 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 the little cost here. It's the taxi. It's the hotel. Um, yep. it's, it's the little bit of back sheets that has to be paid or the little bit of extra paperwork that has to be filled in that has a fee and all of those sorts of stuff. And this is all unknown and it can rack up to be quite significant. And you feel quite vulnerable, I think, when you're going through all of this because you're spending days, weeks in a system that you don't understand and you just got to go along with it as best you can. Um, but with an airport, um, it's relatively straightforward in comparison, isn't it? Am I right? And there's
4: less space at an airport so yep. they want to get your bike mm. out of that Absolutely. out of that yeah. yard. Whereas yep. a, a big seaport, they can just tuck that container with your bike in it over to the side until they're good and ready, which may be, as you say, weeks and you've got taxis and, and accommodation and extra meals you didn't think you'd have in a big city where you thought you'd be in a smaller town that you could have cheaper accommodation, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And getting my bike into India, for example, one of the problems that I had was that um, the, the, the runway that my container had been put into um, at one end – there was a broken down gantry, you know, one of these big things that sort of roll over the top and lift them up and then move them to the to to to, to put them down onto the, the dock side. Um that was broken down on one end of the row and the other end, the dock collapsed. So <laughs> weeks my container was there, and I could see it from outside the port. And I couldn't reach it and I couldn't get at it. Yeah, six weeks in the end. <laughs>
0: Okay, so one other one that I wanted to throw in here very, very quickly was that um riding a simple motorcycle, in other words, without all the electronics that the newer bikes have, is better because it can be repaired anywhere. So do you think it's do you think that's a, a, a reasonable fear? Mm,
6: this is a subject that you could go on and on and on and mm-hmm. on about. and it I think it depends. ride what you like. and it goes back to ride the bike of your heart jacques lucas and said whatever you like ride the bike you like and if you want simple if you're a mechanic you're not a mechanic or it's got electronics etc unless you're a mechanic you want a newish bike because it's less likely to break and modern electronics are so reliable it's ridiculous so ride what you like keep it simple keep it light keep it small ride something that you can handle that you can pick up
0: that's
6: about it. That's yeah, about I agree
2: life. with that. Okay, I agree with that. Just, yeah.
0: Well, I, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there because you know we're not moving through these really quickly. I have to say, <laughs>
1: so <laughs> too, too, too <laughs> many <laughs> bad puns. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, but we're thorough. I think we're very thorough. I think that's a good part. Very thorough. Okay, so that's great. So let's 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 call that a day with this stuff here, and move into plugs. Shall we do that? Yeah, well, sure. Okay. Unbounded enthusiasm there. Michelle, <laughs> what, what do you have? I expected some, comment, I expected some comments on, on
6: what I had to say about the bike, you know, well, choosing your own bike. Well, actually, we've gone on for hours before about that.
0: I know. I, I was hoping that we would just you know, leave yeah. it at that. And, and Brian said he agreed. I thought that's good enough for me. Good <laughs> enough. Okay.
5: <laughs> good. <Bye>. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was
0: seconded. The motion was seconded. We're done.
5: That's it?
6: Yes. All right.
0: Okay. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, Michelle. Funny. What do you have to plug?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I, um, it, it's, I guess I would just like to give a shout out to my travel companions. I have had the very best time traveling with these uh, three women, Lily and Linda and Rachel from the United States, from New York and Minnesota. And Roberto, our my dear friend from Santiago here, who just opened his tour company and was our tour guide, and the last two weeks, and I think we probably, you know, all know as travelers how to travel ind- independently. And it's not that often that I've traveled in a group. I did in Pakistan. In fact, all of the women that I'm here with, I had the great privilege of riding with in Pakistan. Um, so we have traveled together before. But boy, I cannot sing the praise is enough uh, of good travel companions and they are all that. So I just want to give a shout out to all of them and to travel companions everywhere.
0: Nice. Good ones. You must be just chomping at the bit to to get back home into that snow again.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh I, I miss my traveling like duties.
2: Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds like you've got yourself a gang there, Michelle.
3: <laughs> I I wish if I were so lucky to be part of the gang. They're they're all a bunch of those <laughs> incredible women. So yeah, a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that's uh, really good. Like okay, um, Shirley, what do you have?
4: I'm sorry, Jim. I've gone back to par. <laughs> oh, okay, come on, sure. Brian. What do you have? <laughs>
2: I've, I've got a couple of things. First of all, um, this guy contacted me, Ian Daly, and I referred him to listening to Raw, and I would answer some of his questions because he asked about um, my old Royal Infield, and he wanted to know he wanted me to relate the whole story, which I'm not going to do here because it's going to take up too much time. Suffice to say that I went looking for a tire and ended up buying a rural infield in India. Um, yeah, so it's was a 1966 infield. Um, sure, sure, we'll sitting here shaking her head, but anyway. Um, it was built by a, a fellow by the name of Arun. If he really wants one, I could probably still get one for him. Get
4: to um, the plot, Brian.
2: Oh, sorry? Get to the plot. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> The engine was built from a 350 to a 535 cc, uh, and that was at my request. I put an alloy head on it to make it a little bit more reliable. I also put a higher-pressure oil pump on it to make it, again, more reliable. Uh, 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 and that's about it. And they're all Royal Infuel parts, and you can still get them um, in India, of course. Plugs. you oh, um, still go. Yeah, I'm still going. You're going to get into trouble from Jim. Now, um, just a shout-out to – I'm not a fan of crowdfunding as a general rule, but I've got to say this. The um, motorcycle racing in Ireland and the Isle of Man was at extreme risk because they could not get insurance. The insurance costs went through the roof. Um, But the Motorcycle Union of Ireland uh, in Ulster, um, the local people banded together and they crowdfunded enough money to pay for insurance. So street racing in Ireland, the Northwest 200, the Ulster Classic and all those sort of things will be on this year simply because of people power and crowdfunding. That's the only reason it will be on. Uh, So it's fantastic. It was all at risk this year. So. Well done to everyone over there in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is this year is the centenary year of the formation of what I consider one of the best motorcycles in the world. Can anyone guess what it is?
0: The Royal Enfield?
5: Oh. <laughs> yeah, W. Yeah, it's oh, very,
2: oh, that's exactly right. So 100 years this year they've been going with the very, very uh, iconic um, – uh, horizontally opposed twin engine, and of course it's 50 years uh, since the R9s came out, so that's why I wanted to have that bike finished. So a yeah. shout out to those BMW fans out there.
0: But but it's not done though because it's not running, right?
4: Correct. Uh,
1: oh
5: no, it's <laughs> running. Hey, running.
0: Well, okay, it ran it ran back home, but you don't know if it's going to run tomorrow.
2: Oh, it'll be up. Uh, there's there's uh, springs and jets and all sorts of things scattered all over the uh, oh. the, uh, the garage floor at the moment. Can right.
4: you hear me groaning?
0: I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting what you're saying about the Isle of Man with the insurance, though. I mean, there's been a lot of things with insurance going up. We've certainly seen that for travel. Travel insurance has gone up. I guess the good thing about them raising the money is uh, there's some shareholders that will get a, a nice bonus. With the insurance company, and the races still go on, but it makes you wonder what's going to happen next year.
2: Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it, that we're controlled by these things? And you think I mean, these these events are iconic? They've been going for you know a, a cal- century or more, and it's yeah. a
4: calculated risk.
2: It, it, everyone goes in knowing the risks. Yeah. So uh, all of a sudden, we we're, we're ruled by damned insurance companies.
0: Well, that that can shut it right down. That 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 will that will be it. You know, yeah. it'll be done at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah.
2: horrible. Yeah. And yeah. the best game in the world starts tonight, thank goodness. What? Well, yeah. But, well, right. Australian rules football. If you haven't seen it, get onto it.
0: Oh, I didn't realize you guys played football. It's a different oh, football.
6: Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, it's not the same. <laughs> it's none
2: of, none of this padded crap that goes right
1: on oh, over there. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. So, <laughs>
0: so Sam, what have you got?
1: Actually, what I would like to do is to talk about the presentations that I've got coming up um, in May and June in particular. Um, But I'm going to start off with uh, one in April. It's the 21st of April at Woodrose Motorcycles um, in South Wales in the UK. I've got a a few private engagements happening just after that. And don't don't pull my leg about this. There's no rock stars involved. It's just a few private things going on. But um, then I'm back in the States, and I'm really looking forward to this. And I'm starting off with um, MOA, Motorcycles of America, at their 50th National Rally um, on the 8th to the 10th of June at Doswell in Virginia. And this is also celebrating 100 years of BMW motorcycles. So it's going to be um, an absolutely full-on event, I think. I hope I'm going to see uh, lots of BMW listeners um, there. Um, and from there, I'm going up to BMW Motorcycles of Detroit, and That's on Saturday, June the seventeenth. I had an absolute ball with the guys um, there last year. Really nice audience, so I'm looking forward to being back with them. And uh, Moon Motorsports of Monticello in Minnesota have just invited me to be with them on June the twenty-fourth. And this is to be my first time in that part of the United States. So, and uh, yeah, what a buzzy dealership they sound to be. So I'm looking forward to being with them. And um, I've got a couple of other uh, feelers out for other events um, for the next couple of weeks after that. But then... I'm heading over to Kissels for their Motorsports Soggy Bottom um, Moto Fest between the 27th and 30th of July in Port Matilda. And then I'm rounding off the trip at Morton's BMW in Fredericksburg, Virginia on Saturday, the 5th of August. And uh, it'll be my third time with them. They're always a very welcoming bunch and um, yeah, great audience. So it's going to be fun. I hope that I'm going to see plenty of um, Adventure Rider Radio Raw listeners there because it's one of the things that I love about doing the presentations. It's the chance to link up with everybody. So yeah,
0: thank you, Jim. You have a full season by the sounds of it.
1: Um, Jim, I really, really love doing this. It's out and about on my bike. It's learning about new places. It's seeing new things. It's it's meeting new people, um, linking up with people that have messaged me on on Facebook, for example, or um, via um, Raw. And yeah, it's it's just good fun. It's good fun.
0: So Sam, when, when you do this, is this all business or do you build into this some adventure for yourself? I mean, there are areas that you want to go and see and you make little side trips.
1: Um, that's exactly how I try and do it because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I spend quite a lot of the the year bouncing around, um, doing presentations, um, at, at home or sitting at my desk. Um, that old thing about writing a desk, but Hey, if you're going to write anything, that's where you've got to be. And, um, so, uh, this trip into the States a couple of months every year, um, this is, this is play and smile time for me. Uh, I, I really enjoy it.
0: Mm, sounds like a nice adventure. And, and so if somebody wants to see the list, that they didn't you know, write down everything you said right there, that's on your website, sam-manicom.com, correct?
1: It is indeed. And it'll be updated as um, new venues come in. So, uh, But uh, yeah, that's going to be fun.
0: Okay, very good. Grant, what have you got?
6: Well, we've got a whole full slate of events. Everything is open for registration except Ecuador. And then Germany, autumn in November, but that's far enough away I'm not worried about it. And then South Africa also in November. But right now we've got California coming up, Virginia, Germany, Canwest, Bulgaria, Newfoundland, Switzerland, Romania, and then we're into Ecuador, France, and Austria, a new one this year. That's going to be a fun event and a beautiful, beautiful location they've got found. So that's all horizonsunlimited.com slash events. If you wonder why you want to come to a Horizons meeting, I mean, what's it all about? That's where you can meet people who don't think you're crazy for wanting to ride your bike around the world or to some other country.
1: Check you it out. Never, you never have to explain who you are, do you? If you no. walked into a, an event full of kindred spirits.
6: Yeah, that's and that's always the amazing thing is everybody gets it. They understand that going somewhere on your bike is it's fun. It's a thing to do. It's it's worthwhile. And that's where you learn everything you need to know about how to do it. You meet some wonderful people that will inspire you and they'll inform you, and you'll connect with people that you'll meet halfway around the world again someday. Check it out. Um, just, just one question, Grant What is yeah. around the world?
2: Oh, what is John. around
0: the world? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, I guess that wraps it up. Thank you very much, everyone. It was great fun. Thank you very much. Cheers.
1: Thanks, everyone. Good fun. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a motor traveler that also has a couple of great motor travel books The Butterfly Route and Tips for Travelling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called The Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com, And of course, grant johnson is from horizons unlimited which is the hub literally for our adventure motorcycling community horizons unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers they also put on the hub meets around the world you can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website horizonsunlimited.com special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin my name is jim martin thank you for listening join us again next time Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes at AdventureRiderRadio.com.